Hello and welcome back to It's a Musical Podcast, the podcast show where I force my boyfriend to watch musicals and then we talk about them. I am one of three boyfriends. <laughs> and I am Drew. <laughs> Is that what you're going with for today? <laughs> it feels appropriate. Yeah, I like it. You know. One of my many boyfriends. <laughs> based on Mamma Mia, yeah. which, hello, welcome to It's a Musical Podcast, we are going to watch... Mamma Mia and Mamma Mia, Here We Go Again. Uh-huh. If you got this far without realising that, I don't know how that's possible considering the link would have said Mamma Mia yeah. with a lovely Mamma Mia artwork, I'm sure. Mm-hmm. That's what we're here to talk to about today. Yeah. So it seems appropriate. I know that the kind of plot of this is Amanda Seyfried doesn't know who Meryl Streep had relations with <laughs> enough to be her father. Basically, we don't know who Amanda Seyfried's dad is. Yeah, you could have gone with Amanda Seyfried doesn't know who her father is. Yeah, I overcomplicated. I arranged yeah. that pudding. But there's one of three options. We've got Will Turner's dad. Yeah. We've got James Bill Bond. Scar- Scar- Bill Skarsgård. We've got James Bond. Mm-hmm. And we've got Mr. Darcy. Of those three, who would you want to be your dad? Um, Pierce Brosnan. He's the richest, but also so that I could date Colin Firth. <laughs> Priorities, guys. So you don't want to have pirate blood? No. Because I think Bill Skarsgård has got a pretty good, like... No, he's creepy. I've always found him creepy. He scares me. If you should say that on this podcast, what if he's listening? I'm sure he's not listening. Yeah. <laughs> Shout out to Bill Skarsgård. If you listen to this podcast, we love you, but you scare me. It wasn't... Pennywise something Skarsgård. I don't know. Maybe it's in the family. Maybe. So Mamma Mia is our first jukebox musical. Yes, it is. Would you like to explain what a jukebox musical is? So to my knowledge, a jukebox musical is a musical that uses pre-existing songs from the real world. Mm -hmm. We don't write our own songs for this story. Yeah. Obviously the composition of them changes somewhat you don't necessarily have them performed in the same style they become more musical theater okay so american idiots mm-hmm. their version of 21 guns is very different but i love that yeah that version of it is gorgeous not to say the original one isn't but i particularly like yeah i guess version. glee's a jukebox tv show because yes. we see a lot of those songs exactly. performed in a different way and they're always or generally in glee they're using them to Further the narrative. Yes. As opposed to like when they're in competitions and stuff, obviously they're just singing. But some of them in Glee kind of sound note for note the same, so they're very similar, but some of them are mashups or done in different styles. Like, was there a reggae week where they took popular songs and did them reggae style? Was there? I don't know. But like, <laughs> I mean, example... I wouldn't be surprised. Yeah. Didn't Mr. Shu at one point sing Blurred Lines? Yes. <laughs> Which was creepy then and it's creepy now. Yeah. And I How think he was Sue not fired is... called him out for it brilliantly, yeah. like at the end of that, right after that song was great. Mm. So this is a jukebox musical. Yes. So other jukebox musicals are like... Rock of Ages. Rock of Ages is a good one. We Were Rocky. I've never seen We Were Rocky, but I did read the plot of it. Bizarre. <laughs> oh, incredibly bizarre. Amazing. In the before times. Yes. You know, post-Greece, we were talking about options for a show. And... Along the lines, 
We Were Rocky got mentioned, and I read up the plot because I had never seen it, and it's crazy. But yeah, it's the dystopian yeah. madness. But I really like how like the Bohemians yeah. all have like different names that Madonna. can change. Yeah, and can obviously be added to based on you know current yeah. people. So you might have the version I saw. We had they still had Madonna and Meatloaf yeah. as the the main two, but Madonna was the guy. Yeah. And he was like a big beefy dude, and mm. he introduced himself, and he was like, "I'm Madonna," and but then they had the Spice Girls, yeah, as the backup singers, which was hilarious. I read that once upon a time they had Cheeky Girls, yeah, that's which is funny. Yeah, and I would love to do that as a school show, but change the names, like, and actually have my own ownership over those names and like the costume details, like, mm. you know, look at who's popular currently. Like, I'm sure there would be a Tay Tay. Yeah, one of the jokes in the version that I saw, they had the Beatles, the Spice Girls and the Beatles, yeah. and there's a scene where all the Bohemians get like rounded up and taken away, but sort of one by one to start with, and the rest of the Beatles shouted, "We've lost Ringo!" <laughs> and it was great. And like I sort of hadn't registered that they yeah. were the Beatles, but that's how they were dressed. If I did that and we had the Spice Girls, I'd have Jerry be the first to go. <laughs> You'd have to do it in order. Yeah. Other jukebox musicals, we've got I, Juliet. And no, Juliet. I, Ju- and Juliet. Yeah. I, Juliet is the I, Robot spin-off sequel. Yeah. <laughs> Carol King musical. Yeah. The beautiful, it's jukebox musical and Jersey Boys. But I'm saying those two together because those musicals are telling the story yeah. of those people but using their songs along the way. Which is where Mamma Mia, Rock of Ages, and We Will Rock You are different because they actually tell fictional stories using the songs. Same with American Idiot, that they use fictional uh, songs to tell a fictional story. Mm. And my brother will tell me off if I don't point out that Bat Out of Hell is not a jukebox musical. And I said this in one of our very first episodes that it was... And I got a very angry phone call from him about it. So why is it not? Because it uses Meatloaf songs. Meatloaf wrote it as a concept album for a musical. Yeah. So it was written to be a stage show. Okay. And then it never got anything done with it and was released as a concept album. And then it got turned into a musical afterwards. Did you see that Meatloaf is down to do LFCC in November? I would love to meet Meatloaf. I would tell him... Like, the one thing I would say to Meatloaf is that I love him in Stage Fright. It's his best film. If you've never seen Stage Fright, which Danny hasn't... We're going to do for Halloween. Yeah, I'm saving it for a nice Halloween episode. That's the spectre of the... The Haunting of the Theatre. The Haunting of the Theatre. Yeah. It's great. I remember my mum and my nan... Yeah. ...actually have seen Meatloaf live. Which is awesome. awesome. And I remember my mum saying, like, he didn't need a microphone... His voice is no. that incredible. He's a he's got a big belt on yeah. him. Like so, like last year at LFCC for me, it was Tom Felton, it was Robert Carlyle, John mm. Barrowman. Those are the people I had to meet. Meatloaf is like yeah. near the top of the list. It's him and Hagrid. <laughs> They're the people I'm oh, most desperate to meet. I think I'd cry if I met Hagrid. It'd be weird meeting Hagrid not as like a giant though. I know. I don't, I'm not sure I want to meet. Like, I'd love to meet Robbie Coltrane. Not looking like Hagrid. So, you you have a sort of vague idea of the plot. I do. In that the main character is looking, so trying to find out which of the three guys is her dad. Yes. However, you own this film on DVD. 
Yes. But you've not seen it? I've not seen it. Why do you own it on DVD? There are multiple DVDs I own that I have never got around to seeing. But I think this is a weird one. So... For you to just own and have never watched. I... Because when this film was released on DVD... In 2008. In 2008. It was the best Right, can I just stop there? DVD I have an anecdote about this, which you've just ruined. I'm sorry, go on. I worked in WH Smith's yeah. at the time, mm-hmm. and we had a Christmas event right. where basically we went in and we, we were trainers, basically getting set up to do all the Christmas shop. Was Mama Mia a Christmas release? Yes, it was. <laughs> oh my gosh. So... We were being quizzed and me being hotshot DVD man because I worked in Music Zone as my first job and I love film, you know, okay. I was studying a film uh, film degree. Mm-hmm. So I was in charge of the DVD section. Yeah. And I didn't read like the messages. I just did what I did. I looked at the POS and did what I had to do. And I was supposed to know that The Dark Knight was not expected to be the biggest DVD release of the Christmas season. Yeah. I was expected to know it wasn't going to be Indiana Jones 4. It was going to be Mamma Mia. But me being so narrow-minded at the time... Yeah, Batman. I, Batman, <laughs> Iron Man, Indiana Jones, I hadn't given Mamma Mia a second thought. I knew it was going to be big. We had a display cabinet for it. I knew it was going to be yeah. big. So I'm, I'm talking to all the other stuff about this is where, you know, the prominent things, make sure you display them. If you ever see it out of stock, you've got to restock it. Mm-hmm. I was outed in front of everyone else, basically being, you forgot the most important one. I was like, you said Batman. <laughs> Indiana <Aww>. Jones? <laughs> and yeah, Mamma Mia was massive. You know, I didn't have a cinema pass at the time. Yeah. So that summer, this was just before I went to university, so I was still quite young. The priority films for me yeah. were Dark Knight, Indiana Jones 4, Iron Man, Forgetting Sarah Marshall, and... I liked that when we watched that. Yeah. Mamma Mia just didn't resonate with me. I didn't think it was going to be anything. Yeah. reason I've got the DVD is a few years ago, one of my old housemates from my communal place was moving out, and... She said, I've got all these DVDs. They've been sat in storage since I've lived here. I've not looked at them once. I know you love DVDs. Take anything you want. Fair enough. And I thought, oh, you got Mamma Mia? Cool. Amongst other things, I took Mamma Mia. Just never got around to watching. I have seen bits. Yeah. So I think everyone has seen bits of this. I am very familiar with the amazing rendition of SOS. Yeah, everyone is. <laughs> I think it's going to be difficult for that not to be my best song of number one. It's going to right. take something pretty fantastic to dethrone that. Are you actually not being sarcastic? I yeah. love it. I love Pierce Brosnan just busting out his... But his there's but like... Song. The whole joke with that song is that he's completely tone deaf. I know, and it's hilarious, and right, I love okay. it. It's my favourite bit. You understand of the film that I haven't that. seen. Cool. I have seen Mel Street trying to break into her own house singing Mamma Mia. Like, oh, sure. Yeah, okay. I guess that's what's happening in that and scene. And <laughs> I'm pretty certain, I don't know which ABBA song it is, but at the end, you've got all the men in like lycra dance into a disco yeah you do i don't know what song that is but i've seen that bit cool i think i've potentially seen it from sos to the end but i don't remember what happens in between because i was just staring at my phone okay fair enough do you know based on 
your uh, W. Smith's knowledge, how many copies of the DVD were sold in the UK? Because it, it is the best-selling DVD in the UK. Yeah, I can't remember. I know we sold a boatload. Yeah, it was five million. Yeah. But this that year, is yeah. the, for context, like, isn't that the entirety of central London? Like five million people in central London. Possibly, I don't know. But yeah, it's, it's a, ridiculous. Yeah. It's a stupid amount of it's DVDs. It's a stupid amount of DVDs sold. I have an anecdote for you about, about when Mamma Mia came out. Go for it. Because 2008, I was 13, yeah. 12 or 13, and I saw this film quite a few times. And one of the times, me and my mum were going to see it for not the first time. Yeah. And we were taking my nan with us. And I was so excited to go and see this film again because mm-hmm. I was having a great time seeing Mamma Mia. And I had my little vans on, but I didn't have any socks on. Yeah. And as I went to get into my car, my mum's car. I was going to say, you're not driving. No, I'm not driving. My mum pulled out the parking space that we were in and she ran over my foot. And I screamed at the top of my lungs because it hurts to be run over by a car, weirdly. And she freaked out and was like, oh, my God, are you OK? Oh, my gosh, I'll take, we need to go to the hospital. And I was like, no, I want to go and see Mamma Mia. <laughs> and we went to the cinema and we watched the film. And was your foot OK? My foot's, well, my, I assume my foot's fine. I never went to the doctors. I went and saw Mamma Mia and said... Did you ever go to one of the sing-along versions of it? Yes. They, yeah. Do you know how many times I went to see Mamma Mia? How many times? Nine. Okay, cool. Do you know how much money that is? I, well... It's yeah. over £100. How is it over £100? Because it was £13 for teenage entry to Mamma Mia. Seriously? Yeah. I have never been to a cinema... At... It's like £12.99. <sighs> yeah, it was crazy. I used to work in Cineworld and, like, this teenage prices were, like... Never more than six or seven pounds. I, I don't, I'll be honest, I've become a little bit of a cinema snob. I don't know how much cinema tickets cost individually. Because you've I've got, got a thing. I've got a card, and yeah. I've had a card since 2009. That's kind of fair enough. So, is that the film you've seen the most at the cinema? Yeah, it is. Do you want to take a guess? Endgame. Yeah, how many times do you think I went to see Endgame? Ten? No, five. Five, right. Which is on par with Frozen. Jeez, okay. I. I mean, I kept taking different friends to see Frozen. I was like, you've got to see this film. And we, you know, like, commented in a sing-along one. That's it's, what I was like with this. It's so much fun to have that sing-along experience of everyone there. Mm-hmm. Now. Anyway. This is an interesting one that this is not written by a big musical personality. From what I think I know, this was written by an ABBA fan who just had an idea for a plot. And put these songs together and then had to pitch it to ABBA to get their permission to use their songs and get the rights to it. Kind of. Kind of. So, in 1983, Judy yeah. Kramer, who is a musical producer, she okay. also produced Viva Forever, the Spice Girls musical. That lasted After three this. months. Yeah. <laughs> so she's not very famous yet. She met Ben and Beyond yeah. while she was working on Chess for Tim Rice, cool. which is another big musical. It is. And she'd heard the song The Winner Takes It All and thought that it sounded like a big musical ballad number, which it does. Yeah. And she suggested it to them and said, look, jukebox musicals are becoming a thing. Why don't you turn some of, like, one of your albums into a musical? Yeah. And they weren't 100% no, 
but they weren't that interested. Yes. And they weren't interested in writing it themselves. Yeah. This is after ABBA's broken up. So Benny and Bjorn are still working together and they were the songwriters, but they don't talk to the girls anymore. Yeah. That's in 1983. Yeah. In 1997, Judy Kramer was like, I'm going to hire a writer. We're going to write the album. So it's not been actively kind of developed in that time. It's just, okay, if the right thing comes along. And yeah, 14 years it's been there. Yeah, she just sort of had the idea of it and was playing with it. And then she hired a writer called Catherine Johnson, who wrote the story, basically, and left gaps for where the songs would go, but didn't write what songs it should be. She had a couple of notes. Did she ever write like suggestions for what song could go there? So like at this point we'd like Waterloo. Yeah. So there are there are notes written into her script to say yeah. like where certain things would go. For example, when it takes it all. Yeah. Like that and that is in the film where she wrote it to be. Yeah. But it's that kind of idea. Then in nineteen ninety eight they hire Philia Lloyd as mm-hmm. a director. And at that point, Ben and Bjorn are agreed they're doing it. Yeah. Because they've got the story and they they get control of the music and yeah. they've got Philia Lloyd who's going to direct for them. So they're ready to start this. They didn't workshop it. They just hired their, they auditioned and hired all of the actors and put on a musical and it opened in 1999. And has been going strong ever since. Yeah. So it opened at the Prince Edward Theatre. Then in 2004, it transferred to the Prince of Wales Theatre in London. And then 2012, it moved to the Novello, which is the one in Piccadilly Circus. Yeah. And yeah, it like has been I doing passed the well. theatre. It's down off Covent Garden. I don't think it's off Piccadilly Circus. I think it's by, um, it's off Drury Lane. Oh, okay. I've, at least I've passed it Drury Lane. And I've done a lot of walks because it's near the Lion King as well. Yeah. And I've done a lot of walks on school trips with kids where you're like, stay close. And Mamma Mia is always one of my... Well, I saw it at the Novello Theatre yeah. because my lovely auntie Lorraine yeah. knew That's one awesome. of the costume costumiers is the word I'm looking for, and she rang me and said, "I have four tickets to this sh- to to Mamma Mia. You're in the stalls, and it's a friends and family performance. Cool. Do you want to go? Friends and family performances are always amazing because the cast is just having a great time. Yeah." Because they know that their mums are here to see them and they don't take it as seriously, I think. Yeah, which is cool. I didn't know that was such a thing. It's good fun. <laughs> so obviously I took my brother with me. He brought his then girlfriend and I rang like eight people and was like, what are you doing today? I've got a ticket to see Mamma Mia. Nobody answered. A couple of my friends who would have gone to see it with me didn't even pick up their phones. And then I rang one of my mates and he was like, yes, we're going to see Mamma Mia. We're going now. I will get on a train. Let's go. And he met me at the theatre because we didn't live anywhere near each other. Yeah. It was great. Shout out to Lewis if you're listening to this. (laughs) That's 2012. In 2000, it opened in America. Yeah. Did not open on Broadway. It opened in LA. Yeah. At the Orpheum Theatre. On the Orpheum circuit. That's very cool. Call back to last week. (laughs) And then 2001, it moved to Broadway and it opened and it ran for 5,773 performances. That's a good number. Closed in 2015 to make room for... So it went from 2001 to 2015. That's crazy, isn't it, on Broadway? For something that's not a big name, 
and obviously Amber are a big name, but like it's not Sondheim or Andrew Lloyd Webber yeah. or Rogers and Hammerstein. Yeah. And it's run for that length of time. Yeah, that's like, insane. That's an elite company. Yeah. How did it fare at the Tonys? I made a point of looking up who it was up against yes. for you. So Broadway 2002, because that's when it went on Broadway. Yeah. So it there. It's not a re- it's not cast as a revival because it's opened on Broadway for the first so time. So was it the 2003 Tonys? No, 2002. Okay. Five nominations, didn't win anything, but it was up against Thoroughly Modern Millie and Urinetown, which are both smash musicals, and they sort of sweepstake. Was Urinetown the busted musical? No. I feel no. like there's a... There's, there's a, a busted musical. <laughs> yeah, like, I'm pretty certain there's one written by... Maybe not all of them. About... Not Charlie Simpson, but, like, the other two from Busted. They wrote Loserville. Oh, okay. <laughs> I guess that sounds the same. So it's Loserville, which, you know, sounds like you're yeah, in town. kind of similar. Similar ideas. I understand your thought process. Okay, so... But, yeah, so Thoroughly Modern Millie, starring a Sutton Foster... Yes. Who we love dearly. She she won Best Actress and Thoroughly Modern Millie won pretty much everything except for two or three uh, nominations which were won by Urinetown. They took everything home. Mamma Mia didn't get Best which Music, cr- Best Choreography, Best Set Design, like nothing. Which is crazy because if you would uh, say to me which of these three... Was most successful. I would have said without a doubt, Mamma Mia. Thoroughly Modern Millie is a big American musical, though. Yeah, but I've heard of Mamma Mia. I've heard of Thoroughly Modern Millie, but it's not one that I would say has hit the zeitgeist. Mm. It's a big one. Anyway, it didn't win anything here either. It won one category when it uh, was here for the Olivier's. Yeah. When it opened. And the only person that won was one of the side characters, one for Best Supporting, and the actress that played Rosie, who is Judy Waters' character in the film. Yes. But they were up against Honk and The Lion King for everything, so they were, there was no way you are going to win anything. Honk? Honk is the Ugly Duckling musical. Oh, I thought it was the Untitled Goose Game no. musical. <laughs> Honk's great. I've my brother played heard. a frog in Honk and he had never to win three of times. That's great. a good look. Yeah. I could imagine Jake. It was great. It was really good. Like, he was a frog. Yeah. I think I was in it, but I don't really remember. (laughs) So, the film. Yes. Was released in 2008. Yes, indeed. And it has a tremendous cast. It does. But it has the same director and producer. So we've still got Philia Lloyd and Judy Kramer. The exact same book and music. Yeah. So Ben and Beyond are back and Catherine Johnson. Now, is it the same length? Have they cut much from the film? So it's pretty much the musical. It's pretty much the same. The only differences are the stage show has an incredible set, yeah. which is essentially... Do you know what the setting of the... Sh- Greece. No, like, where are they? They're on an island. Yeah. In Greece. But, like, what's on the island? Do you know? No. Okay. The building that they're in, because I'm not going to spoil it, is the setting. Yeah. Is the set on stage. But it's, like, nice Greek white walls, essentially. Like, very flat white backdrop. And it's on a turntable. So it turns from the front of the, the, 
house. It's a farmhouse, isn't it? It's not a farmhouse. The front of the building, and then it turns so that we can see bedrooms. Yeah. And then it turns oh, so that there's a bar. And cool. then when it turns again, there's sort of the beach backdrop, which is That's just sort cool. of white and sandy coloured. It's so cleverly done. And they've all yeah. got, there's like little lights embedded in the walls so that they can change the lighting. It's amazing. Because it's set in Greece, and I feel like I maybe just made this up, but I feel like I've also heard it. Are there parallels to Greek myths? Is that why they placed it here? Yes. What? So... <laughs> This is one of the things we're going to really enjoy talking about, because I know you like Greek mythology, but especially Greek plays. Yes. This has a Greek chorus. Cool. And it includes the gods and as the sort of hands of fate that control the universe, because when they decided they were doing this musical, they chose Winner Takes It All as their main song. Yeah. The gods may roll the dice. So the gods are basically playing the people's lives. As it's so do. nice. That is ah, awesome. I love it. It's one of my favourite things about the show. So this casting, we have got Pierce Brosnan. We have got Mel Street. Yes. We have got Amanda Seyfried and Dominic Cooper. Yeah. We have got Bill Skarsgård. We have got Colin Firth. We have got Julie Waters. Mm-hmm. And we've also got Lennon's mum from The Big Bang Theory, whose name I don't know. She's also in The Grinch. She's maybe already cropped up Christine on the podcast. Baranski. Yes. I love her. I feel like she has already cropped up yeah. when we talked about her. She's my favourite character. <laughs> I, I actually... I can imagine she's basically movie. the same character she always is. I know from what describe, I've seen, but she's fun. Describe what her character like always is. sarcastic and just kind of... Yeah, no rich, nonsense. sort of older yeah. lady who has no They get drunk on the beach. Yeah. This movie is like the dream. Yeah. Now, essentially, Amanda Seyfried is getting married. The film is going to start with Dominic Cooper... Posing. Sure. And she wants her dad to walk her down the aisle. Mm-hmm. She does not know who her dad is and she finds her mum's diary yeah. of her, you know, younger years mm-hmm. and whittles it down to three men. <laughs> whittles it down. Oh my god. How many people do you think her mum has slept? I mean, Meryl Streep is gorgeous, so I'm and she runs a bar. Do you know who plays Meryl Streep in the sequel? Young Meryl Streep. Yeah. I didn't know that it was is a flashback. Is Mamma Mia 2, the prequel? Yeah. Is it Cher? No, it's not Cher. Cher's, Cher's two years older than Meryl Streep. Fair. I know Cher's in the second one. She's a goddess. Okay. I love Cher. That's not her character. I was say, like, it, it, Just yeah. Cher. Actual real life Cher is a goddess. <laughs> no love her. Um, but Meryl Streep runs a bar? I don't know. I'm not telling you. But, this is why I didn't say what the building was. Yeah. So... She invites all three of them uh-huh. in the hopes that she'll figure it out and get to spend some quality time. And Mel Shoot's like, oh, they're all here for me because, like, they miss me. Is Colin Firth gay? I'm not telling you. Colin Firth's gay. Right. And I think Pierce Brosnan's the dad because it feels like they're more in love of the three. Like, she's most drawn to him, which is why we get SOS. Sure. Bill Skarsgård maybe has a... Another child? I don't know. Okay. But, yeah, that's that's the first one. And hijinks right. ensue. The second one... Wait, wait, wait. Before we talk about the second one. Yeah. So, when this first one came out, obviously it was going to premiere everywhere. Yes. They filmed it 
between two different places in Greece. Yeah. So they filmed it on the island of Skopelos. Skopelos? Yeah. My pronunciation is going to be awful. You're just going to have to ignore this. I'm sorry. And Damachari, which are both in Greece, mm-hmm. and the 007 soundstage at Pinewood Studios. So James Bond going home. Favorite thing. Yeah. But the the building that they are in, so the one that's in the stage show, they built it oh, on that's awesome. a fake little island in the 007 studio, and they built it on a revolve so that they didn't have to move their cameras so that the building would move. That's very cool. It's so cool. Yeah, that's like, awesome. And they left it there for a couple of years because they thought they might have a sequel yeah. in the making. So it stayed there for a while. And obviously it was dissembled and moved, but they still have it. And they still, like, these things still exist. And it's just such a cool set. I mean, you see it in the film, you see, you can't tell. It seems like they're actually in yeah. Greece. It's amazing. So. Anyway. When premiered in Sweden. Yeah, and obviously, Stockholm. Obviously. Obviously. Because it had to. It was the first time that all four members of ABBA were seen together since 1986. Anyway. Do you know, before, again, before we talk about the, the sequel, do you know how much money the first one made? Um, 75 million. Ooh, 69.2. That's nice, though. Yeah. Do you want to... It's on the... It's in the top 20 for highest grossing films of all time. Yeah. Do you want to take a guess at where it's placed? Because obviously (sighs) things like Endgame and... Endgame is 2 billion, and Avatar is 1 billion. Yeah. Alice in Wonderland is up there for the billions. Yeah. As is Jurassic World 2. Essentially, since like maybe 2016, we've had quite a few billion dollar films. Mm-hmm. 70, well, 69.7 million isn't that much when there's a lot of other films that have hit 500 million. I'm going to wager 16. Oh no. It was 13th. Okay. Cool. Do you want to guess where the sequel place? Because again, we're in the top 20. The sequel would have come out after. Obviously, it's a sequel. But then Five I, years after. Yeah, and I've heard mixed reviews from people who really like the first one and don't like the second one. And I, I don't know if it one. had the replayability that the first one had. I don't remember seeing sing-along versions of it. And obviously, like this is why Endgame and Avatar have done so well, is they were re-released with like new stuff or mm-hmm. whatever. And obviously, Miami is going to have done great because you've seen it, now come and sing along. Yeah. So maybe Mamma Mia 2, not as high, and maybe like 18? 17. Damn. 17 I usually go with because like lucky number because I'm born on the 17th. I'm yeah. like, oh, I'm not going to tarnish it. <laughs> Yeah, no, the second one is 17th. So, they decide in 2018 that they're going to make a sequel. And this is what's interesting, is there is no stage show to base it off. No. So, they decided, um, Catherine Johnson, the writer, decided the only way they could ever make a sequel is if it was telling the story of Meryl Streep's character as a young woman, contrasting... Amanda Seyfried's character as an adult woman. So we've gone the opposite way. This okay. Time. So Amanda Seyfried's an adult now. Yeah. And we're seeing Meryl Streep's character as a young woman. So Meryl Streep doesn't factor into it that much then. 
Do you like to take a guess at where Meryl Streep is in this film? Where? Do you want to guess what's happened to Meryl Streep? She's dead. Killed her off. But then she's... I remember she's seeing in posters it. and she's like front and centre for the posters. Oh yeah, because it's Meryl Streep. So that's there? really deceptive. Like, no wonder people didn't like it because mm. you've been lied to. However, this is the first and only time Meryl Streep has ever been in a sequel of a film she'd previously been in. Yeah, which there's a, quite a few actors that don't do sequels. Yeah, she, she straight up refuses to be in sequels and she has never played the same part twice. It's the first time. Yeah. So... Basically, they got Cher yeah. to be in this one because the director rang Cher up because she turned down being in the first one. So when they were making the first one, they offered Cher Meryl Streep's part and Meryl Streep said, and Cher said no. Yeah. She wasn't interested. She was going on tour at the time, so she wasn't interested in doing it. <laughs> the director rang her up about the second one and said, we're doing a sequel to Mamma Mia. We want you to play this character and then hung up the phone. He didn't let her say yes or no. Yeah. She was like, you're playing this character, and just hung up. So Cher just got roped so into been... being in this one. So I assume, so I remember the posters, because this is 2017 it was released. Yeah. There were thereabouts, and I remember the hype. So it's got all the original cast returning, I thought. Yes, it does. But then they must be in it for, it's maybe like The Hobbit Part 1, where they show up and then go back in time and they're forgotten. Or does it go back and forth? Is it non-linear to a degree like... Okay, cool. I mean, that sounds like kind of a downer. I'm, I'm now less excited to watch the second one. That is exactly what I thought at the time. I was very upset because somebody told me in advance that Meryl Streep's character dies. And I was like, I don't want to watch Meryl Streep die, especially because I love her character in the first one. You've kind of already seen her die once, like with Into the Woods. Well, that's a witch. It's not Meryl Streep. Meryl Streep does a great job of making me not believe that she's her. In this, she's Meryl Streep. But I was very upset when I was going to see this film because I thought, I don't know how they're going to do this, number one. Second, surely they've used up all the the like name value ABBA songs by this point. And third, I knew that they were doing like flashbacks because I knew who the actress was that was going to be playing young Meryl Streep. Now... I went into this film expecting to hate it, as I do for most sequels. I never expect to like anything, especially things I don't know very much about. Yeah. I love this movie. Meryl Streep is amazing in it. Cher, I die when she comes on screen. I love her. The character that she's playing is hilarious. It's so good. I'm going to say off the bat, I'm not a fan of prequels. It's not really a prequel. I don't like films where the stakes kind of are removed. You don't have the same sense of tension. The stakes aren't there because you know they're going to survive. So the reason that this one works and the reason that Katherine Johnson said we have to have it work this way is because we're no longer here for Meryl Streep's story. We're here for Amanda Seyfried's story. She's an adult woman now. We're dealing with adult woman things. Mm She's having a really hard time dealing with something, not Meryl Streep's death, something that is happening. Cheating husband. And I'm not telling you. I'm not telling you. Trying to think of what, like, (laughs) adult women struggle with. Lots of things. Menopause. We're deeper than this. And the way that she deals with it is by reflecting on her mother's journey. Yeah. 
and how she got to where she is today because of what her mum sacrificed for her. And it's so gorgeous. So it's one of those weird ones where it's a pre-sequel because it's back and forth, back and forth. Like, it's yeah. not so much that it's focusing just on the prequel side of it. The prequel side of it is very much minimalistic. We're here more for the sequel mm-hmm. that's actually happening, but we're having the odd flashback here or there. Yeah. Okay. I can get on board with that as an idea. Yeah, I like it. Uh, Not filmed in Greece. Filmed in Croatia due to um, money reasons. Yeah. And Shepton Studios. Obviously with Love Never Dies, we talked about, like, there aren't many stage shows that get sequels. Mm Mm-hmm. But this is an interesting one to me in that it's a sequel that has never been on stage and has never been near a stage. Yeah. Nor will it. I'm interested. I've seen bits of it, so I don't feel like it's going to be as as surprising a ride for the first one. Yeah. I don't know who the dad is, but I'm assuming it's either Pierce Brosnan or none of them, and there's like a mystery fourth man that gets revealed at the end. Yeah. Like, that would be great if you... Who would you want that to be? Who would I want to be? So we've got Bill Skarsgård, Pierce Brosnan, and Colin Firth. Who would you want to be the fourth man? Hugh Grant. That would be really funny. <laughs> like, oh my god. Hugh Grant rocks up and just is like, you know, him and It was me. Colin Firth fight all the way from Mel Streep's home down to like the beaches of Greece. <laughs> I'd watch that film. To like it's raining men. <laughs> Amazing. Yes, like please. the one non ABBA song yeah. in this is it's raining men. I could get on board with that. Awesome. I don't know. Who else would be a good actor at the time? Rowan Atkinson. I'd like to see him, like, uh, no. Rowan Atkinson rocks up with, like, a cape and a fedora. God. Imagine you, your choice of father is Bill Skarsgård, Pierce Brosnan, Colin Firth, and Rowan Atkinson. Rowan Atkinson's awesome. <laughs> nah. <laughs> or Daniel Craig, so we've got, like, a better Two bond. Two bonds. <laughs> a better bond. There's a few James Bond jokes in this. I would not be surprised. I, I now have the canon that whenever James Bond is, like, in real dire straits... And he needs a rescue. He sings to MI6. So is. Okay. Right. So we've talked for a really long time about this one. But we're gonna go and watch it. This these are fun movies. Oh like I don't know to that too whatsoever that these are going to be fun. Yeah. Yeah, we'll just see how fun they are. Yeah. I'm really excited. I love watching this film. So we'll be back once we have seen them. I've been cheated by you since I don't know when So I made up my mind, it must come to an end Look at me now, will I ever learn? I don't know how, but I suddenly lose control There's a fire within my soul Just one look and I can hear a bell ring One more look and I forget everything Whoa, whoa Mamma mia, here I go again. My, my, how can I resist you? Mamma mia, does it show again? 
my, my, just how much I missed ya. Yes, I've been broken hearted, blue since the day we parted. Why, why did I ever let you go, Mama Mia? Now I really know, my, my, how I could never let you go. And we are back. We have finished with the first Mamma Mia movie. We will be watching the next one in a little bit. But for now, we're here to talk about the first one. Yes, and I think we need to start off with a little bit of an apology. Yeah. So, <laughs> Bill Skarsgård is Pennywise. Yes. Is the son mm -hmm. of... Is it Stellan Skarsgård? Yes, Stellan Skarsgård. So one of the actors in this is Stellan Skarsgård. His character is called Bill yes. Anderson. So we have been calling him Bill Skarsgård for the entire opening of this podcast. And this is the thing, like, in talking about who he is and what I know him from, like, I know him as bootstrap Bill. Yeah, it doesn't help. No, it doesn't help. He's got a reputation for playing Bills. Mm -hmm. So Stellan Skarsgård... I do apologise. Your work in The Girl with the Dragon Tattoo, in the Marvel Cinematic Universe, in Mamma Mia. Mm -hmm. I also love the work of your sons, who have played some of my favourite horror type characters, I guess, in Pennywise and Eric Northman. Yeah. Like, great work. Eric's from Truebill. Yes. Yeah. The second thing I have to say is thank you for the music. Yeah. So one of the things that I didn't tell you before we watched this was who the producers were. Yeah. So I'm going to officially rescind my suggestion of Hugh Grant playing the fourth dad. Yeah. Tom Hanks should be the fourth dad. Yeah. And like immediately ditch the other three because it's Tom Hanks. Like the only person who I think trumps Colin Firth in terms of lovability. Nobody trumps Colin Firth with the love of Come on. It's Tom He wears Hanks. a see-through shirt in this one as well. Don't act like you wouldn't love to see Tom Hanks in a see-through shirt. Oh, uh, Tom Hanks gets his kit off in... Castaway? Not what I was thinking of, but yes, he does. He does. I was thinking of Angels and Demons. Yes, he does. Robert Langdon. Yeah. He's he's in his little speedos. Also has Stellan Skarsgård in. <laughs> Which also has Stellan Skarsgård in. Yes, so... so. I love that musical. I had I always have a great time watching that. I think doing jukebox musicals is always interesting because you're taking songs that currently exist and you are trying to fit their themes and their lyrics into a world. Yeah. And it's unlike other musicals where you can write whatever you want within your lyrics mm -hmm. and with your music to make it work with your story. It's the opposite here. The story has to work with the songs they've got. Yeah. And... You know, in Money, 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 she talks about going to Vegas and they have, like, very fun references with that. And in I Can Still Recall, Our Last Summer, again, they reference, like, other things that aren't necessarily important to the narrative, like yeah. going to Paris. But, like, mm -hmm. it works. Yeah. And jukebox musicals are kind of tough. But I think this musical does a really good job. Yeah. It's especially interesting with this one by focusing just on ABBA. You are always going to have ABBA songs that should be in it and aren't. 
for example? I was really disappointed. I thought it was kind of lame that Thank You for the Music was relegated to just a song sung by Amanda Seyfried over the credits. It is in the stage show. Is it? Yeah, it's sung by Sophie and the dads in the stage show. I was thinking it would have been really well placed as a wedding toast, like at the end for her to sing with like the dads. Yeah, I can see that. Like, in the the in the stage show, she sings it after Money, Money, Money. Oh, really? With the dads, and it's sort of their like getting to know each other song. But I think Last Summer works better at, at, like that. In the stage show, Our Last Summer is a ballad between Donna and Harry. Oh, really? Yeah. See, so they sort of merge those two. I have to say, it's kind of interesting that, and I picked up on this before, that I knew she's going to end up with Pierce Brosnan because I feel like, from my limited knowledge of it and what I'd seen, mm. she spends more time with him and the other dads don't really get any time with her. And I knew, like, Colin Firth was gay. Yeah. So... It's kind of disappointing, though, that we don't get more moments with her interacting with the dads. Yeah, so in this in the stage show, Donna has a song with Harry, which is Our Last Summer. She doesn't have a song with Bill. Sophie has a song with Bill where she sings the name of the game with him. Yeah. Which is great to have a song. But there isn't... Donna doesn't sing exclusively with Bill at any point. But I think that's because we know Bill and Rosie have a thing. Yeah. So they're leaving that open there. And then Harry is revealed to be gay, so it's okay for him to sing with Donna because he's not a threat. Well, no, that's him. exactly it. But it just, it feels kind of lacking within the, the film. Yeah. You know, like, they don't all get a chance to kind of talk with her and relive memories with her because they clearly had significant times in their lives with each other where it was just like one summer whatever it's significant to them and obviously with Harry's character it's especially significant like he says at the wedding yeah you were the first girl I loved and the last mm -hmm. well, it feels so, like that's something should be called back to throughout that they've got some kind of significant relationship to each other yeah and that's what they talk about when those two sing our last summer yeah but they've sort of merged the two scenes with which is fine which for the Film, I think, is yeah, fine. I'm, I'm cool with that. I just think it's very interesting. I think this does a fairly good job at covering most of ABBA. Mm -hmm. I think there are some songs I'm disappointed with their use in, and I'll talk about that as we go through. Yeah. Because I feel like there are songs that should be bigger deals. We'll start straight off with I Had a Dream. Yes, I have a dream. And again, it's a really good opening. Like, I can just see the scene of, like, someone on stage just and hearing that. It's nice. And I like that it's mirrored at the end. Yeah, it's, it opens and closes the narrative. But one of the things I kind of noticed with this, and I don't know if it's just the film or if it happens in the stage show, is they kind of do half or a fraction of the Abba song. They don't do the whole thing. Of this one or of all of them? With quite a few of them. Okay. So with this one, we got 30 seconds of it. Yeah. And it's kind of disappointing. I like these songs. I kind of wanted to hear more of them. Mm. And I, I know that in terms of the storytelling for this musical, you're changing them. Yeah. Which, fine. It just, you know, I started getting... So in the rolling. stage show, it's not called... It's not billed as I Have a Dream. Yeah. It's the prologue. Yeah. And the overture plays the mix of all of the other songs that we're going to hear within this show. And then Sophie sings a couple of lines of I Have a Dream. Yeah. 
And then the actual I Have a Dream, she sings the full song at the end of the show. Yeah. Okay. The way that they've done it in this is opening and closing, Fair. which I, I think I quite like. Yeah, I like the mirroring of it. I just would have liked more of that song. Yeah. It's really good straight away establishing the plot, what's going on. Mm-hmm. We've got these three different men. Yep. And they are all very different. We have a pirate in Seven Skarsgård. <laughs> yeah. We have James Bond in James in Bond. Colin Firth. <laughs> he doesn't really feel James Bondish, but like I guess coming from New York, he's this big ad executive. Who? Pierce Brosnan. His character. Yeah. Yeah. I, I he's don't, an architect. He's an architect. Yeah. I didn't know that. I just kind of looked at him and thought, hmm. He's an ad executive. Yeah. And it's a really nice introduction. We get all their passports and we're straight on to business. Yes. So before you, we talk about the next song, which is Honey Honey, the sort of opening song, you said when we were watching it what you thought this song was about. I said it as it was starting. that I, I said to you, this is the proposal song. Yeah. And I assumed for some reason that this was her singing to... Sky. Sky basically after he's proposed mm-hmm. and like contemplating the whole marriage and like her saying yes to him. Yeah. Cause I knew they were dancing through the island with him. I thought it's just like her telling her girlfriends about how I'm not saying telling her girlfriends about him. It was more like just taking him on an adventure through the island like it's such a romantic day. I don't know. So So were you surprised when it was the diary? It was the diary and it's reading about her mum's sex flights. Like, yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Excellent word. Dot, dot, dot. That's what they did in the olden days. That is one of my favourite jokes in this whole show, is that that's what she thinks that means. Yeah, yeah. So, her bridesmaids. Yeah. They're characters that are fleshed out. They exist just to be, like, female companions. Mm. You don't really need to know much about them. They're more... Ex- Ali and Lisa, yeah. the two girls, they are mini versions of Tanya and Rosie. yeah. But they don't have much depth or anything to them. No. They're kind of just there to for you to speak exposition at. Yes. It's like the Disney sidekick kind of thing. Yeah. Disney princesses always have some kind of animal companion or sidekick. In Frozen, it's Olaf. Yes. But they don't have to be able to speak. They just have to be there for the main character to express their feelings. Yeah, to exactly. Out loud so that we as the audience know what they're thinking. So... Even before Honey Honey starts, it's been disputed. Like, I, I've already realised I'm wrong. Yeah. Because the girls speak words to each other, mm-hmm. and then I find out she's getting married in the morning. Yes. Did you understand what their little poem thing was that they say to each other? I couldn't even understand what the words they were saying. So they go running down the dock to each other, and they're screaming, and they sing this little sort of rhyme that they've made up, and it's, I'm Sophie, Ali, Lisa, we're the biggest, bestest mates, I'm tough, I'm tall, I'm tiny, and we're gonna rock this place. Okay, no, It's like an introduction song. I think it's really funny. I love everything in this, though, so... (laughs) And then I'm told this musical takes place over a day. Yeah, 24 hours? Well, it's about 48 hours, hours, but essentially the next day she's getting married, which Mm -hmm. means it's all gonna come to a head, and I'm like, wow. Yeah. And the way it works is we get act one is day one and act two is day two, which I think is a yeah. really fun storytelling technique. Mm-hmm. Like, that's really interesting to me, like, playing around with that narrative. Yeah. So we're going to... I'd actually never thought about that before. It had never occurred to me. 
yeah. that it was a 48-hour time span. Which is a lot of things to happen. Like, a lot of stories don't go by that quickly. Yeah. You know, if you look at Les Mis, obviously goes over... Years and years. Years and years. What else have we watched? My Fair Ladies over a period of time. Like yeah, it's within a year, months. but it's... Um, Newsies is a couple of weeks. Yeah. Producers is over, you know, a course of a few months. I would say a year for that one. Yeah, a few months to a year. So one of the things we talked about when we were talking about the prologue that I'm sure we'll talk about as we go through this musical yeah. was the Greek play aspect of the story. Yeah. With the gods intervening as the fates. It is one of my favourite things about the show. I didn't like it. If I'm completely honest with you, the gods feel tacked on. Like, you could do the whole thing without them. It does no point are they really raised awareness of these characters being gods until the very end. And it's not like they do anything bar pushing Mel Streep through the roof. Yeah. They don't do anything enough to justify being there. I quite like it. But I'd, I'd happily have the Greek gods... In anything. I, yeah, I love the Greek gods, and I love that Dionysus is constantly featured. But you yeah. wouldn't know it. He's not even up there with the gods at the end. No, but it's the kind of thing you would only notice if you knew about the, enough about the Greek gods to Yeah, care. but I just feel like it's done to try and be clever and actually serves no purpose. I don't feel there was anything in this musical to warrant them being in it. Yeah, I just... They felt kind of there for no other reason by that one moment of pushing her through the... The, the hip of me. Yeah. <laughs> and which, from my viewing pleasure. Like, it doesn't detract from how much I've enjoyed this. Yeah. But, like, I love Greek culture. I love all these different gods. Mm -hmm. And I just felt kind of disappointed that they didn't serve greater purposes. Yeah. Amanda Seyfried is a better singer in this than she's in name is. Everybody who is in Les Mis is a better singer everywhere else but Les Mis. Arguably, she's got the lamest role in Les Mis. Cause, leave Cosette alone. I hate Cosette's song. I hate Cosette. What's that like, mean? Little girl Cosette is great, but I don't like grown-up Cosette. She's just such a wet blanket. She is a person who lives in a horrible situation who has chosen to be a little ray of sunshine and happiness in the life of her father who she knows is struggling Team she is the strongest female character in that show what in like the five minutes character depth she gets as a grown-up i think people are too harsh on cassette and i like her eponine needs to sort her life out team eponine all the no. way i'm not, i don't care about marius can get lost i don't care about him he's annoying yeah We'll talk about Lamez on a bonus episode. I care about Cassette a lot more than... Meryl Streep is an absolute babe in yes. this one. And Benny and Bjorn had nothing but amazing things to say about oh, her yeah. in this whole show. They called her a miracle. That's a miracle. A miracle. No, a, a miracle. Meryl called Streep. Do you want to know a fun fact about this yeah. film? Pierce Brosnan didn't know what this was when he signed on to it. Really? He got told that he would be playing... Meryl Streep's love interest and he said yes because he fancied her when they were at drama school together. Were they at drama school together? Yep. Oh that's so cool. He called her that gorgeous blonde that I fancied terribly at drama school which is hilarious. That is like being told that the person you fancied in your school show is going to come back and be in this, another oh, yeah. show. Would you like to be in it with them? In terms of the plot 
Yes, sorry. No, tangent. no, no. Well, tangent, yeah, but Amanda Seyfried has lied to get her dads on this island. Yes. Be nice. We'll talk about this as the film progresses. That's a big plot point. And we then meet Meryl Streep's best friends. Tanya and Rosie. Why did Julie Waters get on a boat? Could she not just apparate? Mm. <laughs> so... She's busy being the best character. <laughs> we have this nice moment where we go kind of back and forth and we see the relationship between Meryl and her girls and Sophie and her girls. Yeah. And they're all kind of talking about what's going on. And I can imagine on stage this might be a nice moment where we have them all on stage and you cross-cut back yeah. and forth. Or like you say, you've got the stage which moves through the hotel going from one room to the next. Mm-hmm. But we establish that Sophie felt it was better to ask forgiveness than permission. Always is. Yes, and we are introduced to young Howard Stark, and he's not aware oh, of the plan. Dominic Cooper, yeah, yes. Sky. Really inconsequential. Yeah, no, he doesn't need to be in this. This is one of the. So this is a very female gaze movie. Yeah. The men are not wholly important. No. Which. However, great. this film doesn't pass the Bechdel test. Not the Bechdel test. So the Bechdel test is a. A movie test where to judge a woman's importance in the film, she has to, or the depth of her character, Mm -hmm. she has to talk to another woman on camera for more than a minute about something other than the male characters, which a lot of films don't pass the the background test. No, because I guess Sophie's talking about her dads. Yes, so there's this, so the Bechdel test exists and has been around for a while. There is a different version of it that was coined after Pacific Rim came out yeah. called the Marco Mori test. Marco Mori is the main female character in Pacific Rim. She at no point talks about anything other than the monsters that they have to fight, but she never talks to another woman about it. And the point is made that she's this like very strong female character. And the fact that she is there with all these men is a big deal. Yeah. But she never talks to another woman about anything. So the Marco Mori test is, is the, are the main female characters important enough that talking only to men or only about men is more important then, for the plot yeah. than for her feminism? Okay. So, so this doesn't pass... This passes the Marco Mori test, but, but not pass. the Bechdel test. Sophie only really talks about her dads, yeah. or Sky. Mm-hmm. There's a few moments in it where Meryl and her girls are talking about their own lives. It doesn't feel like they're talking about men. Only in relation to Donna yeah. and her problems, I, which are the men. Yeah, which is, well... Which is fine. Like, I don't have a problem with it. This no. is a very female gaze movie. I've not heard of that, and that's really interesting. I said to you, it's really interesting for a female gaze movie. Hmm. They're so apparent saying that weddings don't need to happen, that marriage is kind of a sham. Yeah. Marriage is not the be-all and end-all yes. for these characters. Meryl Streep's dressed like your mum. Yeah, she is. <laughs> I, your your mum's style has been pinched in this. Yeah, definitely. They looked at her and said, right, that is what Meryl Streep will wear. Yes. Shout out to my mum's quarantine dungarees. Oh, definitely. But I'm looking and going, Meryl Streep has stolen your mum's clothes. Yeah. She will take that as a great compliment. The men in this are really stupid. Yeah. Like, it takes them right up until the end mm-hmm. to realise, like... They are rooming together, they're on boats together. How have they not 
talked about why they might potentially be given an invite because they all know they're going to this wedding. They've all been by told. the time that they all realise that they are, they all think they've realised that they're Sophie's dad. They never interact again until the wedding. But again, why have they not all been sharing their memories in that one summer? They have. They sang our last summer. They but all. Not, they but all not think... to each other. No. Because they're not all with it. They're with Sophie when they're singing that song. Yeah, they are. When they sing Our Last Summer, they're all on the boat together. Yeah, but they're not all together. They're on different parts of the boat. I imagine, like, Sophie's having private time talking. There's not, like, a big group talk going, okay, so you set my mum at this point, and you set my mum two weeks later. She's not telling them that, though. She's saying to them, oh, you knew my mum in this year. What did you get up to? But they all knew their mum in the same year. That's the problem. So how have they not figured it out? Because they're dumb and inconsequential. Howard Stark, tech genius, is going to help get Meryl Streep on a line. Yep, on the line. They're going to create a very romantic hotel using Aphrodite's spa. Aphrodite's spring, yeah. Yeah, we're going to money, money, money. (laughs) Great song. We meet the Greek chorus as the villagers' workers, which is cool. I like that idea. If it's set in the backdrop of Greece, we have a Greek chorus. Mm Mm-hmm. Which is, you know, they, they tell the, a few of the stories later on. But I feel like they could have done more in With using the chorus. The chorus. Yeah. It's, again, we're going to use a fun throwback for people who are aware of this, but we're not actually going to do it fully. We're not going to totally commit to this idea. I can see where you're coming from with that. Like, again, yeah, they don't, it's not used often enough to warrant. Warrant having it. Yeah. They're an ensemble, they're not a Greek chorus. I like it. Yeah, I like it when it works. I just wish it it wasn't just like a gimmick. Okay. I mean, we all need gimmicks, as last week taught Gotta us. Gotta have a gimmick. But this doesn't use its gimmick well. No. You've already got the really sound gimmick of ABBA songs. Yeah. Why try to do a little more? I think it's cute. Bright. Harry Bright. Yes. Whilst stood next to Pierce Brosnan. Well, do you think Pierce Brosnan gave him tips on how to deliver that line in that I, style? From what I know, Colin Firth ad-libbed that. Really? Yeah. And they decided to keep it. A lot of this movie is very ad-libby. Yeah. In that they were given lines, like obviously a script, and they learnt their lines, but the within the lines they were given, they had opportunities to yeah. ad-lib with each other. For example, the scene just after Money, 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 where they're all sat on the bench and they're all, all the older ladies are a little bit drunk. Yeah. And Tanya is trying to say something to Donna. Yeah. She can't quite get it out. She's not acting drunk. She just can't remember what her line is. Which she's is trying fun. to... Yeah. And it makes it more fun, I think. You can really tell that all of these actors like each other. But you they're tell me great you're watching it that... They roomed three women together and the three men together, like backstage, to give mm-hmm. them that kind of bonding thing. When they were in Greece, yes. Yeah, and like you can feel that that's had some success. Yeah. Because they definitely feel a lot closer. Yeah, for sure. When they were on location in Greece, uh, the three men stayed together and the three women stayed together, and that is what their relationships are based off of, basically. Yeah. They're clearly having a whale of a time. Yeah, exactly. Making like, this film. And it does, the, the, the flow of it feels really good. You know, the bit where they're talking after money, 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 
three women. It's amazing. Mm -hmm. Like, it just feels very genuine. Yeah. They're laughing, they're having fun. I like that. I think the character relationships in this are top-notch. And the fact that you have three older women who care about each other so much and are so willing to look after each other. Mm -hmm. Like, Tanya offering to give Donna a loan and to help her with her business... Like they clear, these women clearly love each other a lot. This is it, and the banter as well when we find Tanya's dental floss. <laughs> yeah, like I think it's a swimsuit. It's it's Question funny. Mark. It's just really nice. Yeah. The men arrive and they're hidden in the attic. The old goat shed. Yeah. And I really love when she spies them through, and she sees the old versions of them. Yeah, the the young versions of them. Like yeah, that is really fun. I remember that. I, I know I've seen that bit. I completely that was in the adverts. Yeah. But I really like that bit. And we go into Mamma Mia. Mm-hmm. Great song. It's a great song. Do you want to know why they didn't get nominated for best song? Why? It's because there are no new songs. They did write some additional music. So yes. any background music you hear that doesn't isn't explicitly an ABBA song was written by Benny Anderson. Yeah. But they were, they flat out refused to do a new song. Which fine. Why yeah. should they? Anyway. So we just kind of get a bit of world building more than anything else. The next few bits. There's kind of the relationship between Donna and the three men. Yes. We meet Dionysus as the bartender. Yeah, he has an actual name, I'm sure. Yeah. I think it's Pepper. We get Chiquitita. Chiquitita, tell me what's wrong. I like I like her. The slow opening to this one when they're talking. Yeah. Mm-hmm. They're trying to decide whether or not this is going to work. Yeah. Because Donna has realised that the boys are here. She's crying in the bathroom. And Rosie and Tanya are trying to figure out what the best way to go about cheering her up yeah. is. It's a really nice moment between these three women. Mm-hmm. And it's nice to see Meryl Streep, who's always been quite up to this point, like really confident happy-go-lucky, independent woman. It's nice to see she's got more to her. She's not she's a one-note character. Yeah. yeah. And it is because she's clearly enamoured with one of these men. We're not quite sure who. But... Yeah, we can tell that there's something deeper than just, like, one of these men is her daughter's father. Yeah. There's some some hurt has happened within this. Exactly. They, to their credit, they never explicitly say at any point like, obviously, at the end, we never find out who the dad is. They will say, yeah. we'll take a third. But what I like is that they don't, even if they were ever going to reveal who the dad was, mm. I like that they kind of tease through the whole film. Like, that's quite yeah. nice to keep you on the edge of your seat, like, waiting. There's no... Did you feel let down by that? Because you kept no. saying no, that you, it feels you right. wanted to know who it was. Yeah, but it feels right. Yeah. I, I like... Who do you think it actually is? I said to you, I think she looks more like Stellan Skarsgård. Yeah, she and does. he's clearly a very virile young man because he's got eight children. Yeah. So In real life, not in the film. You know, the fact that James Bond has had as many dalliances as he has and no children. That's true. <laughs> but so in the, in the context of her yeah. actually sleeping with these three men, yeah. she sleeps with Harry. Yes. Then she meets Sam. Mm-hmm. Sleeps with him. 
Then he leaves to go and get married to his fiancée. But comes back. When he comes back, she's with Bill. So okay. she sleeps with Bill. And then Bill leaves because so he's I, Bill. So I'd assumed it was Sam, then Harry, and then Bill. Yeah. Like, it just felt maybe more that... You thought of Sam because he was first. Yes. And that heartbreak led her to both of these two as rebounds. Yeah, You'll find out when we watch the second one. Which is fine. I really feel bad for Donna because she mm-hmm. does say Sophie can't know. Yeah. And it becomes a thread through this entire film that she's looking to protect Sophie. Yeah. And she says something just after they sing Dancing Queen. Mm-hmm. No, Super Trooper. Okay. She's at the, the stag party? Yeah, the stag party. Yeah, What's she's the girl version of the stag party? A hen party. Yeah. A hen do. She says that these men weren't there for her. How dare they show up now? They've got no rights. They've never been there for her. Yeah. And it makes me really angry at Sophie. Yeah, I understand why you don't like her. I don't like her. I think all she does is hurt people, even the men. Because yeah. she goes and she gives them all false hope. Which is really cruel, which is why it's nice that it's never conclusively said, here's Ross and your dad. Because it's going to break the other two hearts. Yeah. She is not thinking about anyone, not even Sky. She's incredibly selfish. Mm-hmm. She should have more time for her mum, who has raised her. Yeah. I don't, I've never liked the plot point. I've never liked the plot point where I'm happy but I'm not going to be fully happy until I know who my second parent is. Yes, and I agree with you on this. I am a big believer in, obviously, there's nature versus nurture. Yeah. I'm a big believer in both, but in the way that you are born to be who you are, and there are obviously outside things that will affect that, but you should know who you are yeah. separate to everybody else, yeah. separate to any attachments that you have. So movies where characters are like, I have to know who my dad is because otherwise i won't be whole you'll be fine yeah 100 <laughs> percent. and not to say that anybody who in real life who has is, no, is looking is to we're find not talking that. about real life we're talking about the way it's represented he's like one-dimensional characters who think oh i'm incomplete yeah so what was the one we watched with amanda Bynes and colin first yes what a girl once yeah like yeah that film really bothers that me poor mum Mm-hmm. who has saved her entire life just to look after her. <laughs> it's worse than that one because Amanda Bynes runs away. <laughs> yeah, but that's what I mean. Like, it's just so bad. And yeah. these girls, in both these examples, have totally disregarded the feelings of their mothers. Mm-hmm. Like, I do think in this one, though, we see Sophie decides she can see how this is affecting her mum. Yeah, but too late. She's, she's laughed at her diary. For starters, like she's thought it's all just about sex when actually there's more to it. Yeah. She She hasn't read this diary and actually connected that there are feelings here. Because I'm sure if she's kept a diary, she's also mentioned how Sam broke her heart Mm -hmm. and hurt her. Yeah. Like she hasn't thought about that. She's read the bits and gone to find out who her dad is and she's lied to these men to get them here, used her mum's name and not thought about the consequences for anyone. No. And you'll see when we watch the second one. It almost makes it a little bit worse yeah. when you find out what actually happened. She's a very emotionally mature person. 
Yeah. She shouldn't be getting married. She's very sheltered. Yeah. Like, it just, it's, it's a sticking point in films like that where characters totally disregard the good work that their parent who is with them has done mm-hmm. looking after them. And I just always think, especially coming as a single parent upbringing myself, mm-hmm. like, it's just not on. Like, yeah. for me, personally, it's a plot point that made her the villain. Yeah. Like, she's the villain of this, because she's just playing with people's hearts. She's caused all of this. Yeah. yeah. I always wondered with this film, jumping back to the plot line of the Greek gods, yeah. when we see the gods, you don't see somebody in the place of Aphrodite, and I've always wondered if Sophie is supposed to be Aphrodite. Because Possibly. when they she's wearing her wedding dress, she is dressed... And her hair is done like the way that Aphrodite is often represented. And it's only once she's concluded her mission that the spring comes back to life. Yeah, and once she gets her mum back with yeah. his person. Dancing Queen's fantastic. Yeah, it is. All the girls just want to have fun. Yeah. Did you know that this is Queen Elizabeth II's favourite song? Is it? It is. Why she has gone that? on record as saying, Incidentally, it's also her birthday today. Is it? As, as Happy we... birthday, Liz. But she has gone on record and said it's her favourite song because when it plays, she stands up, she dances, and she is a dancing queen. And that sounds like a setup to a joke. That it's sounds not. like a joke. It's so true. It is her favourite song. Does she feel like she's only 17? <laughs> she's lived <laughs> so long. It like, wouldn't surprise me. Yeah, I really like that number, the way they all go down, and it's just, it's contagious. But I really hate these constant slow motion shots. Mm. Like when they leave the gates and at the end as the spring comes up, I don't need these slow motion shots. It's quite jarring. It doesn't work in this film world. I think it's just supposed to represent joy. Yeah, it doesn't quite bring up joy in me. I'm not. Last Summer's great. I really like it being acoustic and slow. I knew a lot of these songs were coming before they started. Like, I'm sat there and I just sang. Yeah, I we knew had a great lot, time. Yeah. But they they have done a really good job. Like, Last Summer was where I really felt it. They fit these songs to the plot brilliantly. Yeah. It just works. Like, it doesn't... Obviously, they're Abbott songs, mm-hmm. but it feels like they're the songs of this universe. They've matched and paired fantastically. Yeah, they've done a really good job. Amanda Seyfried is remarkably chill, considering it's the day before her wedding. She is the opposite of Bridezilla. Yeah, she... I thought about this. when After you mentioned that, oh, this film takes place over 40 hours, I thought, huh, yeah, I guess it does. But also, she spends a lot of these 48 hours not doing anything wedding-involved. We'll talk about that in a bit when we talk about a big plot point as to why I think that's the case. Yeah, because she doesn't want to get married. <laughs> oh, we'll talk about it now then. She's only called this wedding to try and figure out who her parents are. Yeah, and Sky calls her out on that. Yeah, and Sky, like, it's it, you know, he's a one-note character, bar that moment where he's like, I gave up everything for you, which, you know, maybe not the right time to yeah, bring Yeah, he mentions that he was travelling the world to find himself, so he's obviously on his, like, gap year. Yeah. Um, and he met her on this island and they fell in love and now he lives here and works here. Which, fine. I'm okay with that. Yeah. You can meet the love of your life anywhere. Exactly. But he was on a self-discovery journey and he stopped it because he fell in love with her. 
and he wanted to take her with him and for them to yeah. go traveling together and she made this big charade of a big white wedding so that she could find yeah. her father. And this is the thing, is he's it sounds like he's always actually been a good boyfriend in the sense of he said to her, That doesn't define you, there's so much more to you. Like he's always yeah, tried to he be, makes your point. Yeah. Of you don't need to know who your dad is. Yeah, like you are still you. Yeah. And you're awesome, you don't need this to define you. Mm-hmm. Like, okay, maybe a bit of a dick move in saying I gave up everything for you. But considering what she's just done, where she's basically just told him, I don't love you, I don't want to marry you, I just want to find out who my dad's were. Like, yeah. Understandably. Well, in that scene as well, you're thinking about how far in advance would she have had to send those letters out? To get them there in time. and Yeah. But also, when did she find the diary? She's been sitting on that for a long time. Yeah. Maybe there is more to this idea that she's Aphrodite, that he saw her and fell instantly in love. Yeah. Aphrodite manipulated men. For her own game, like all the gods and did. Women. Yeah. And everyone. We get a really cool, like the one moment where we get a sense of their romance, like the mm-hmm. one song where it seems like they actually are in love. May we love me. Yeah. I like that song. I honestly thought that stag do's and hen parties were supposed to be much earlier than the night before the wedding. No, originally that's what they were for. You well, bachelor parties. Yeah. Not there was not a traditional version of the women's one. Mm-hmm. The traditional hen party would have been a much... Quieter affair. Yes, where you were given things that would help your husband. So in um, uh, Norse history, women had their teeth removed and were given, like, dentures. Oh, thank you, Siri. That is our guest for this episode. <laughs> Siri is very helpfully informing us of what a woman is. I just had a tiny heart attack. You know that saying in. <laughs> well, that makes me chill so much. I'm trying to get your attention. I didn't want to stop you on your discussion on I your history like of women. I, I, don't, I don't know what I was saying now. I, got I don't like the idea of a stag do or a hen party. Like, I don't like the sentiment of behind it of my last night of freedom. Sorry. I quite like his line about that in this, though. Yeah, but like... He says, oh, it's my last night of freedom. Yeah. And then she looks at him and he says, which is how some people would see it. Yeah, like, for me, personally. So the the sentiment of last night of freedom was from a time where you didn't see your bride. No, you married. It was essentially arranged marriages back in that day. You were telling me about women had their teeth removed. Yes, in Norse history women would have had their teeth removed and replaced with the good dentures to show that you were wealthy enough to have a, a good husband. God, that's awful. Yeah, but because at the time their teeth would have been really bad. To have nice teeth showed your status. Yeah, to be afford, able to afford to have good teeth. Yeah. And it was done in a fairly humane way. Yeah. Like, it's not like they ripped these women's teeth out. I just, I've never understood the sentiments behind them of, you know, like, fair enough, let's celebrate the fact that it's an engagement, let's Mm. celebrate, but I always think it's really awful to be like, last night of freedom. I do really like in this, though, that there's the bachelorette party and the bachelor party, and they coincide in one big In a festival of Dionysus. Yeah, start with the girls getting ready, having pre-drinks on their own, and the boys doing whatever they're doing. Do you know what they're doing? And this little bit is removed from the film. Yeah. The necklace that he brings to Sophie is Aphrodite's 
necklace mm -hmm. and it's like her Aphrodite's shell. Yeah. And if you present it to the girl that you're going to marry, you'll have eternal love. And he has to dive into this certain part of the sea to find the the shell to go on the necklace. Yeah. Like that's what he was off doing. That was his bachelor party. Which is cool, but why don't we get this like why do we not get his character fleshed out? Because he's not important. Exactly. But it's you know, a small moment like that would be really nice. But I guess it would make me hate Sophie even more. So yes, it would. <laughs> those flippers are great. Like, all the dancing of those, those like, men on the sags is brilliant. So I told you when we were watching it, I've been in a version of this. When were I was... you in the stag party? When I was 12 or 13, yeah. I was in a drum club and they did these little summer intensive things. Yeah. And they, they were a week long. And we would learn and put on a show in a week. Mm -hmm. And we did Mamma Mia!, and one of the scenes, of the, obviously, just has Sky and Sophie as the main characters. Everybody else in the cast played the boys. And we all came on in, like, with rubber bands on, oh. rubber rings on and flippers. And we did the dance That's from really that scene. Cool. It was very funny. It was very hard to dance in flippers. Do you want to guess who I was? <laughs> you were just generic boy number one, then. No. Were you Sky? No. Who were you? No, no, like the rest of the cast played the boys because we didn't have a big enough cast okay. to have an ensemble. Oh, um, were you Rosie? No. Tanya? No. Meryl Streep? No. Who are you? I should have been Meryl Streep. I should have been Donna. But because I was the oldest, tallest girl by far, yeah. the guy that ran it decided that he didn't want me to play any of the main female characters. Brilliant. So I was Colin first. That's cool. I'll, I'll, like, I'm sure you love that. I thought that meant I was going to get to sing All Last Summer, but he cut it. Yeah. Disappointing. Yeah, there was a lot of favouritism within that drama group. Super Trooper's great. Yes, it Super is. Trooper's diegetic. Yeah. Like it's Donna one, and the Dynamos. Yeah. It's a weird one where we've got some non-diegetic, but this one is diegetic. Yes, everyone can hear them singing it. I... When I get married, yeah, eventually you... in the future, my mum has agreed that either at my bachelorette party or at the actual wedding, yeah. my mum is going to get up and sing Super Trooper with two other people. Dressed. In dressed that. as those characters and sing that for I me. will start investing in a tearaway tux. Yes, you will. I'll walk down the aisle in a tearaway tux and you won't have any idea and then I'll just like... <laughs> the it's men nice, can... to, nice of you to say that you'll come to my wedding. Yeah, yeah. I hope I'll get an invite. <laughs> The men continue to be idiots. Like, again, they just... There's no kind of realisation that <laughs> they've all been with Meryl and, like... No, and they even say, oh, this is my... This is our song. Yeah. Oh, your song? This is my song. Yeah, they just don't realise it. No. Man After Midnight was one of my most disappointing songs in this. Gimme, gimme, gimme. Yeah. yeah. Like, I'm sorry, I really like that song. And it was just background noise for plot furthering that was really disappointing same, with, same with voulez-vous it just was kind of like there it mm. was like in quite consequential yeah yeah do you know what voulez-vous means no it's what do you mean okay yeah the the the, <laughs> the men start to realize why sophie's got them there and it's heartbreaking because they start realizing they might have a daughter yeah and we like, surely should be injuring their relationship with Donna. I don't. Yeah, I. I don't think Bill cares as much. No, you get the sense with Bill that him and Donna had like some fun. 
in yeah. the old days. But, but they weren't ever fine. too attached to Bill each other. Bill is certainly going to be that kind of like, yeah, I'm going to be a dad. Like, it's going to be chill. Yeah. In fact, this he probably, clearly has other kids. This is probably the best way for him to be a dad. Is like he gets to inherit her when she's grown up, and he gets like to go out and drink with her and have like fun stories. Yeah. But Harry, being gay, yeah, always wanting a daughter, yeah, or it's a child, really sad. That's heartbreaking. And for Pierce, who has been Pierce <laughs> Sam. For Sam, who first name basis with Mr. Brosnan. Yeah, well, for for Sam, who is clearly so in love with this one and thinks, "Wow, there's some we I knew we were meant to be together." Like there's something a, that ties us together. Yeah, this is a big deal, and yeah. she's just flippantly going and breaking everyone's heart, mm-hmm. and then she realizes what she's done and Thanks. faints. And perfect end of Act One. I think that's a really good. Like you said last week. The trajectory should go up, only for it all to come crumbling down. Mm-hmm. Which it does; it restores itself. But yeah, it's a, it's, this is when we were watching it. You said this is the interval song, and I looked and said yes. Yeah, like it is the perfect interval song for this show. Exactly. I have three dads, but two are surplus. Yes, I have to tell two of them that they're surplus. Sophie's horrible. She so, doesn't. That is pretty heartless. She doesn't care. And the two men have different. So we have um. Bill and Harry have two conversations, but they don't actually realise what they're doing. He, he says something like, well, you should just like marry her already. And he's like, oh. oh, well, you don't have to marry her. And he's like, huh? Yeah. What conversation are we having? But they're having two different conversations. He has realised that mm-hmm. Harry's gay, but Harry doesn't realise that's a conversation they're having. Yeah. He's he... realised that Bill's into Rosie. But Bill doesn't realise that's the conversation they're having, mm-hmm. which is nice. I like that trope. I, I like that. Yeah. You know. And we get a great little moment where Stellan Skarsgård basically has, he's cooking breakfast and he's wearing an apron. And the way that he's wearing an apron, if he was wearing shorts underneath, you wouldn't see them because it's quite a long apron front and it goes quite far around his waist. Mm-hmm. So when he turns around and walks away from the camera, He's not wearing any shorts or underwear, and he has the same eye tattoo that is on his knees on his butt. Yeah. He did not tell the director he was going to do that. Did he He not? got one of the makeup artists to draw the eyes on his butt for him, and he did it as a prank. This feels like such a fun... This feels like a bunch of friends got together and yeah. were like, let's make an ABBA movie. Yeah, like, it feels like they've had the time of their lives yeah. doing this. Yeah, like, no wonder there was a sequel. Yeah. Like they must have jumped the opportunity to be like, yeah, let's do this again. Let's mm-hmm. revisit these characters. This is Colin Firth's favourite movie he's ever been in. Yeah, what was it you said to me? <laughs> There's an interview with Colin Firth where somebody says to him, what would you want God to say to you when you die and you get to the pearly gates? And he says uh, he would want God to say, oh, I personally thought you were very good in Mamma Mia. If I ever meet Colin Firth. That is what I'm going to say to him. Yeah, it, that will be, it won't be talking about the Oscars, it certainly won't be talking about the time he fell in the water as Mr. Darcy. No, it will be, I absolutely love you in Mamma Mia. Yeah. You're my favourite character. Funny I enough, loved you. I mean, he has got an affinity for roles where he falls in water. Yeah, in this he has a completely see-through shirt as well. Is it part of his contract now, do you think? That he has to get wet? Possibly. The thing is with him... He just seems like he has a laugh with everything he does. He does. But he's always felt this kind of bumbling gentleman type character. Mm-hmm. So when I saw Kingsman for the first time, 
That's such an incredible turn from him. Do you want to know something really interesting about Kingsman? The fight scene yeah. that he does, the slow-mo yeah. fight scene, he learned that choreography so well that he could perform it live if he needed to. Yeah. Like, after the fact. I know, and he's... He's an amazingly talented actor. But... And I love him. <laughs> yeah, I completely agree. Colin Firth, incredible Kingsman is just like the last film you'd expect from him. Yeah. Like, he doesn't come across as the like English spy character. No. And that's not. He a isn't critique. someone you would ever bill as being James Bond. Basically. No, I feel but like his character also called Harry. Yeah. In... It's a theme. These characters have all been playing similar similar names. Yeah. Is Pierce Brosnan's character in Mrs. Doubtfire called Sam? I'd like to know that now. Like, has he ever played a Sam before? Because they're Probably. just keeping the same names. Yeah. In this, he. He's different from his normal self, from his normal character in, in Mamma Mia as well. Yeah. I would say. He comes across as being just a very nice man. I feel he's very Colin Firth in this as well. Like, yes. Like... Nobody seems to be doing much acting in this. No. <laughs> Sophie has to go at her mum for trying to split them up on her wedding day because... Yeah, I do feel that what her mum has just said is a little bit unnecessary. Though. It is. She hasn't tried to figure out what why Sophie's so upset. She's immediately jump to the conclusion that marriage But they're both the hiding problem. something. She realises something's up with Sophie because she's a good mum. Mm -hmm. And Sophie's lying because all Sophie does is lie and manipulate people. <laughs> you really don't like her, do you? No, I really don't like her. Okay. SOS. Mm -hmm. I just love, 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 love SOS. Yeah. It's still amazing. So, I don't understand. A lot of people online have made jokes at Pierce Brosnan's expense for the singing in this film. Because he's completely tone deaf, yeah. He has a role. He's got such a lot of singing. No. How did this come about? Was it just it, like... The role was offered to him. So, yeah, but why? If, if Had they heard him sing? I don't think so. So was it just a case of, like, we'll cast him because he's good casting, and then I was like, oh, damn, he can't sing. Right. His singing isn't that bad. No, I think it's great. And it's also pre-recorded and edited. Yeah, like, legitimately. I love his singing in this. I think it's fantastic. I like that this is a world where not everyone's a great singer. Yeah, I wouldn't say it's, it's better than me. Fantastic. I think it is. I'm sorry, like, as somebody who cannot sing, as every listener will attest to <laughs> oh. over the past 12 weeks, mm. I can't sing. I so just think... for me to see something like this where it's not about being the best singer, yeah. I think that's awesome. Other songs are notoriously hard to sing yeah. because they're written for four-part voice, yeah. which... Having a four-part voice with two men and two women, it's fine. Mm -hmm. When you're trying to sing an ABBA song on your own and yep. hit all of those notes, it's I very, very difficult. just learned that myself. Yep. So a lot of these songs were edited a little bit to make it easier for yeah. people to sing. The songs that he sings, specifically SOS, that is very, they couldn't really do much more editing no. to that. So he, it is a hard song. I will give him that. It's also one of the most enjoyable performances in the show. Oh my god, it's brilliant. Well, he just turns. Yeah. Where you gone? Where I'm gone? <laughs> I adore it. It sounds exactly like his speaking voice. Yeah, I I love it. I'm sorry. Like, I'm not going to fault it. I don't care if he's tone deaf. Like, or, or, And that's not my view of him. I think his singing is like the most enjoyable bits for me. Okay. 
I just, I really enjoy that song. And I love the way it's filmed with them both together. Like the bit where they both got their backs against to the wall. To the wall, yeah. It's shorter in this, though. Like, the version I have on my Spotify is, is longer. Yeah, they've cut verses out to make it fit better with the yeah, story. It's fine. I could have gone for more. Colin Firth and Water are a match made in heaven. Yep. Does your mother know? Love it. Easily my favourite song on this in this show. I... Mostly because if I got to choose who I would play now, you'd be her. I'd be Tanya. I love her. I really like it, but it's a weird song. It's like Tulsa's song last week. It's a, a set change song. Yeah, it doesn't really mean like. I guess it needs to be there for the background and you know, like little lamb. But the thing is, we're here to hear some ABBA songs. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're not really here for the storyline. No, which fair. It just, but there is a good storyline. That's a, that's the thing. There, mm. there is a good, compelling storyline. And you'll see when we when we watch the second one in a minute, the the storyline that's continued with the second one continues to be good. Yeah. Like it it builds on what is good about the first one. Yeah, I'm I'm I am very excited to see the second one. Yeah. I love this song in Johnny English as well. Like this is one of my favourite ABBA songs. <laughs> yeah, you said that when it came on. I talked about how much I dislike Sophie, so we'll we'll skip past this scene where it's revealed. But just you know, she's nasty and she doesn't. I'm really sad that. that you hate her this much. I'm very passionate about how much I dislike her character. <laughs> but what is nice. After everything's kind of had these issues, she goes back to Mel Street. The last interaction was a fight. Mm-hmm. Nothing said. She just says, can you help me get ready? And it's a really nice moment between mother and daughter. Yeah, slipping through my fingers makes me cry every time it comes on. Yes. And I just really like the depiction of like a mundane wedding morning. Mm-hmm. Like everyone's like, oh, it's a big deal. She's just sat there. She shaved her legs and she's she cut, cut her, leg, her yeah. leg. And Mel Street's got a plaster. I love that bit because yeah. the song's playing over the top of it. And you can see that Meryl Streep pulls the plaster out to put on her leg, and you can tell that she, that Sophie's being like, "I can't wear a plaster on my leg to my wedding." Yeah, and she just kisses it like she's a typical like, mom. You're fine, I'm doing and then she they sit in her lap and she's they do her nails. Her nails. Like it's yeah. really, really awesome moment, and it just again it makes me a little bit angry. Like, why does she need a dad? She doesn't. She doesn't. And she just hasn't realized that. No, she hasn't. She real. She does realize though at the end. Yeah, she does realise, but it just it That's makes me journey. feel worse that, you know, she'd gone that far in the first place. Yeah, it should never have gotten this far. Yeah. It was at this point where I figured out that Cher is going to be Mama in Mia 2. Yes, however, earlier on in this film, Meryl Streep says a line where yeah. she says, somebody up there has got it in for me, I bet it's my mother. Yes. She's not dead. <laughs> She's in the sequel. They obviously hadn't decided this yet, but it's just such a funny line. Okay, I thought you meant she was going to play her mum in flashbacks. No, she's Cher. So she outlives Donna. Yeah. That sucks. Yeah. I don't want to watch Mum in too. Yes, you do. Because <laughs> Cher's what I'm here for. The winner takes it all is gorgeous. And it's amazing. Perfect for this spot. She recorded the the recorded version of this song. Yeah. In one take. Yeah. And she she recorded it in Stockholm. <laughs> she flew to Stockholm to record it, this song. It's the perfect spot for this. Oh, it's amazing. And it is like, I still love you, but I'm not going to indulge you. And I started to think, is Pierce Wilson still married? Yeah. That's what she thinks at that moment. 
Now, I asked you as well, like, was this done live? Mm. Or was this done... So live, Into the Woods was done live. Yes, they had. with an orchestra. And Lamez was recorded and then just their miming on, on camera. No, it would be good if they'd have done it that way around. Okay. Lamez, they recorded tracks and got all of the actors to sing on camera. Yeah. Camera microphones... Okay. are not meant to be sung into. So how was this sung? Because this was perfect. This is recorded tracks yeah. of them singing, played with so that they can go along with it, and then they act parts of it. So when you have Meryl Streep... Breaking down. Breaking down, yeah. those are parts where they've cut the recorded track and they're playing her live performance. Cool. The majority of when it takes it all is live. Yeah, like that's the perfect way. That's how it should be. Mm-hmm. Because it's the same as they did for things in Into the Woods. Like Into the Woods, they recorded all of their these yeah, versions. But this works so brilliantly. Like her doing it there in that moment, like feeling that moment in front yeah. of. She loves yeah. singing live. Yeah, and it works because she's going to capture this environment with Sam. Had this argument, and obviously, I'm under no false impressions. They filmed out of sequence. That's how you do. Yeah. This, mm-hmm. but. Nonetheless, in that moment, to have her be acting the song she recorded weeks ago... Yeah, months ago at that point. ...doesn't work mm-hmm. for this moment when you're there in character doing it. And this was perfect. Yeah. I loved this song. Yes. They've, they've done such a good job with these films of having people act over the top of recorded tracks. Yeah. The aisle definitely wasn't big enough for four. It wasn't <laughs> wide enough. No, we can only have three dads. And Pierce Brosnan sneaks in at the background, mm. and everything becomes apparent. And this is the best location for them to have this talk about uh, sleeping with hundreds of men. <laughs> in front of the priest in the tiny little chapel. I do like the little bit after Harry steps forward, because you were the first and last woman, and somebody just goes, like, he <laughs> does himself. the crosses himself. But you see Colin Firth looks back at a guy yeah. in the audience. And it's Cheeky wink. The guy that he's been flirting with all weekend, I guess. It's, we find out that Sam came back and she wasn't there, and I think you get this really nice moment you see Meryl react and just like, oh wow. He did come back for me, yeah. yeah. That's sad. Dads are like buses. You wait forever for one. <laughs> and suddenly three and come suddenly at once. suddenly three come at once. We've all been there. And I, I, called it. I called it. I said, they're not going to get married. Mm. And immediately I said, I bet Donna gets married to Sam. Double called it. This song is so great. I do, I do, I do, I do. It's such a funny, weird little song. Oh, do you know what? It's fine. Like, it's It's funny, so funny. It's cheeky, and it's short. (laughs) And then all is said and done. It's a nice, fun ending. Yeah. Take a chance. Julie Waters does her best work on film when she is on top of a table. Yes, she does. Not my daughter, you bitch. You've sworn twice on this one today. Uh, I'm quoting Harry Potter, so that's I know, fine. I'm just saying. But. Yeah, she does a really good job in, sing- in singing Take a Chance on Me. Yes. We get the Mamma Mia prize, Aphrodite springs for its love, and. Colin Firth gets his shirt off. Colin Firth gets his shirt off, Colin shirt off. Yeah. And Amanda Seyfried starts travelling. With Sky, mm-hmm. and we get the, the really awesome like encore bits. So yeah, they come out and do. We have the girls come out Dancing in their Donna Queen. in their Dynamo's costumes. Yeah, sing Dancing Queen. 
And then Meryl Streep says, do you want another one? I like that one where she's talking to the audience and it's very fun. Every single time I saw that in the cinema, people answered her. Oh yeah, I can imagine. And I mean, mostly it was me screaming, yes, Meryl, yes, bestow us with more. It's really fun. Like, do they do something similar to that in the stage show? Like, will Donna say to the audience, do you want more? But will, will Donna say to the audience, do you want more? Like it's a live show at that point. Yeah. That's yeah. Awesome. So from, obviously, when you're in the cinema watching it, it's kind of more okay to sing along. Yeah. Because you're in the cinema. You're not interfering with the actors. There yeah. is a big issue with jukebox musicals in theatres because people have a tendency to sing along. So in jukebox musicals, there tends to be at the end an opportunity for the audience to join in. Which... So what they do with Mamma Mia is there are three encore songs and they sing Mamma Mia, they sing Waterloo, and then generally they just choose what they're going to do for their last song. And I like the fact that the film replicates that. Yes, me too. Because I think that's really just... It's nice. It's a really nice way to end it. It's tongue-in-cheek. They tell everyone to get up on their feet. They ask you to come out into the aisles to dance. Like It's amazing. Yeah. I think, like, considering the, the POS for Mamma Mia, mm. like, and, you know, like, the image when you see the Mamma Mia logo and on the side of the theatre is a wedding dress. Like, I think it's really bold that, you know, yeah. the character you think is going to get married doesn't get married. Like, mm-hmm. it's a really nice bait and switch. Yeah. Have you seen the Christmas version of that poster? No. She's wearing a, a Santa hat and a little, like, Santa dress instead of her wedding dress. That's cool. It's very funny. So, we're going to watch Mamma Mia 2. Yes. But before we do, just got to kind of draw a line on Mamma Mia. Yeah. What do you think the plot of Mamma Mia 2 is going to oh. be? You already know that I think it takes just, place in the future and then we flash back to the I guess it's ju- I guess it's just like she's... Sophie's married Sky for some reason. Perhaps their time travelling realises she actually does love him. I don't know, I'm not They're quite to, a lot older I'm by this not point. here to watch Sophie's story, like, screw don't Sophie. Worry. But she's presumably about to go through a milestone. Like, maybe she, I, I, I hope she's married. Because if Donna's dead, I don't want her to be getting married without Donna there. Yeah. That's going to really frustrate me, like, if Donna doesn't get milestones. Which is why it's also going to really upset me if she's about to have her first child and she's now reflecting. Like, that's going to suck mm. that Donna doesn't get to experience all of this. But I think it's going to be she is about to become a mum for the first time and she maybe doesn't feel equipped to because, you know, maybe she's still mourning the loss of her mum and she just doesn't feel like she's ready for this and she finds her another one of her mum's diaries and reads about her past and by then realises, oh, I'm going to be a great mum. Yeah. And she's going to name her daughter Donna. Okay. Who's your favourite in Mamma Mia? Tanya. She's your MVP. Yeah, I love her. I, I want that energy. When I'm in my 40s, yeah. that's the energy I want. I, I, my MVP is Meryl Streep. Oh, yeah. I didn't give it to her during Into the Woods because, like, James Corden surprised me, yeah. considering how good he was after seeing Buster for Jones. But Meryl Streep's amazing. I can't not give it to Meryl Streep. I'm interested to see who your MVP is going to be in the second yeah. one. What's your favourite song in this version? Does Your Mother Know? It's not my favourite song in the stage version. No, but the version that we've watched. Yeah, but does your mother know? 
I just have a great time doing that song. It is and always will be SOS. Mm-hmm. I just love it. However, I understand why. I would say that's like a close. However, I think the winner takes it all. It's oh, it's amazing, perfect. isn't it? Perfect. What's your least favourite song, your least favourite in this version? Let me look at the list. For me, it's Man After Midnight. Okay, that's fair. Like, it's just, it's inconsequential, it's in the background. It's a big ABBA song. Mm-hmm. You're like, I couldn't even hear them singing because plot's going over it. Like, there's conversations going over it and it's disappointing. I'm going to say Voulez Vous. Yeah. Because for the same reasons, it's just sort of happening... And I don't really feel the emotions through yeah. that one because obviously it's other character, the background characters are singing the song. Sophie's having all the emotions, yeah. but it is a weird sort of disconnect. Yeah. I think you would want to be Tanya if you could. Re- if we were staging this, you'd want to be Tanya. Yeah. Who would you want to be? Sam. Okay. I'd I'm want... interested to see if you're going to that's say that. Why about I wanted, the that's, that's why I wanted to ask now is because I want to get it out there now. The entire cast of the first film are in the sequel. Yes, which I'm aware of, which is awesome. That's why I wanted to say now, this is the character I want to be. Sam. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It will be interesting to see if I want to be a different character in the sequel. Yeah. The sequel has got very big shoes to fill. Yeah. Because I gave this one stars did you oh my I god know you were worried <laughs> after what i said about the greek gods because you've been so mean about sophie too yeah but the, you know like do you know what i can give films and i can give tv shows and musicals and books high grades even if i hate a character <laughs> you know you what miss I miss mean? school well, i do miss school but even if i hate a character i think actually the point of it is the fact she's got a character enough that i hate yeah I agree. Like I'd much If you rather, can make me dislike you. Like I say, I I hate Harry in Order of the Phoenix, but it doesn't change the fact I love Harry. Mm-hmm. You know, and I think you should make connections with characters. If Sophie just existed to find a dad and get married, like I I I'd hate her for a completely different reason because there was no point to her. I hate her because she's a nasty character, whether she needs to be or not. And I've formed like that as an emotional thing based on how she's depicted. It's great. Mm. Yeah, the Greek gods disappointed me. Had you not said anything about that, I would never have said to you anything about the gods. Yeah. Like, it's tagged on, but it didn't take away from my just enjoyment of it. Okay, I well, thought this was brilliant. I should tell you now, you don't need to worry about that with the second one. Yeah, good. They realised it was pointless. I think they forgot that they did it. Yeah, because it doesn't matter. I care about it. I would care about it if it was somewhere like, if it was actually important. Yes, I'd love it. But... I really, really enjoyed this one. I absolutely loved it. Good. And I reckon this will be one that we watch time and time again. I really, really hope that you like the second one because I adore it. Well, here we go again. Yes. (laughs) My, my. See you soon. And how could I ever refuse? I feel like I win when I lose. Waterloo, I was defeated, you won the war. Waterloo, promise to love you forevermore. Waterloo, couldn't escape if I wanted to. Waterloo, 
knowing my fate is to be with you. Oh, 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 Waterloo, finally facing my Waterloo. And we're back again. We've watched Mamma Mia 2, or I've watched most of Mamma Mia 2, and you've actually watched the whole thing. I do. I mean, in fairness, you did leave me with about... Ten minutes? I'd say four minutes. Huh. Like, you left me with maybe 30 seconds of plot. Yeah. Three minutes of celebration. Mm-hmm. Credits, and for some reason I felt compelled to watch the entire credits, and therefore a post-credit scene. Yeah. Which is pretty cool. Were you cool. having a good time, though? Oh, I mean, Bopping away to Abba while I was away. I, I really liked... I mean, we're going to start at the end. I love, like, the, the credit music. Yep. Like, the instrumental versions of these Abba songs were all very different. It takes you through, like, all the songs from the first one. Yeah, it's the overture. And it's just brilliant. Like, I really liked that. Yeah. I thought that was a lot of fun. Good. I had to leave because I was going to look at a puppy for my mum. But it was... Worth it. 100%. <laughs> to go and hang out with it. puppies. Mamma Mia, here we go again. 2018. Yeah. Prequel, sequel. Yeah. Directed by somebody different. Yes, I noticed that. What What was the rationale for... So, Philia Lloyd, who directed the first one yes. and directed the stage show, was very busy. Because in 2018, she was doing the Royal Opera House live, like, summer mm-hmm. production. And she'd done Macbeth, and then she was doing a part of an all-female Shakespeare series. So we'll let and, her off. Yeah, she was busy. I mean, Basically being I get that. It just, for me, it was one of the first things I kind of noticed. It was a different director. Yeah, it's and, a bit of a shame. But... Yeah, because this feels like a, a really big moment for them all coming back together. Mm-hmm. And it felt noticeable, like, her she omission. She was, however, a producer on it. Yeah, and I saw that Rita Wilson and Tom Hanks continued... Their producer status, yes. I think very, very much from the opening, it's so triumphant. Mm -hmm. Like, as the opening occurs, you get this real sense of triumph, like we're back. You don't always get with sequels. It feels like this is a much kind of bigger deal than it should be. Yeah. Which is fun. the, The people who loved Mamma Mia and would watch that movie over and over again are going to have the exact same good time with this one. Yeah. I think the prequel element of it does raise questions about the timeline. Mm -hmm. The timelines are kind of messy in the way they establish the years. Yeah, a little bit. You know, so the bulk of the prequel, in fact, the whole prequel seems to be set in the year 1979. I guess. Like it says when we go back to... Oh, Oxford. it actually says it? Okay. It says 1979. And the first Mamma Mia came out in 2008. Mm-hmm. So I'm assuming, I'm just going to use that as the year it's set in. Because it's a modern film. Yeah. It doesn't seem to have any indication it's not like a modern film. Mm-hmm. So by that logic in... Oh, have you figured out how old everyone is? <laughs> I figured out how old Sophie is. Right, how old because Sophie? Because we said when we were watching it, Sophie seemed so young. To be getting married. But she'd actually be 29 by that kind of idea if mm, it's 1970. Potentially 28 because... That feels like it can't be right. Potentially 28 because obviously I, I've in my maths I have forgotten that women tend to have to conceive 
children and like grow them for nine months. So she probably would have been born in 1980. So she's probably oh, 28. okay. You're not accounting for the fact that she would have been nine months. No, because this is the story of how she was conceived. Right. Yeah. Okay. But tw- I wondered what you meant then. But like 28 is still quite a old age. So maybe against like my impression of her being quite young. So the timelines in this she are comes off as being like eighteen to twenty two. She does. Donna in this in the prequels is twenty, mm-hmm. which is especially incredible. Which you figured she's out. graduated a year early from Oxford. Yeah, which is a big deal. We talked about this a little bit while we were watching the film. You felt that there was no need for her mum to be so upset that she goes off and gets pregnant. Yes, because they talk However, about Catholic guilt in yeah. the first one. But I think from the perspective of your daughter has gone to Oxford, graduated a year early as valedictorian and top of her class, and then she goes off with her, like, promising life, and she's been to... We hear at the beginning of the movie that her professor says to her, you're going to do great things. Yeah. And she immediately gets pregnant. And so this thing... I'm not pregnancy-shaming people because... Like, I would never do that. But it feels like such a shame... That literally within a month yeah. of being in the adult world, yeah, because it's the summer. This promise and all this potential, she's pregnant, and obviously we know it's the best thing for Donna. No wonder Cher is so mad at her. Yes, like it's it's the perfect thing for Donna because it, it's in keeping with her character. Hmm. But I, I guess yeah, that's maybe why her and Cher are so estranged. Yeah. It is very triumphant as we return. We finally get like a version of Thank You for the Music. Yeah. Very sombre, sad Thank You for the Music. Without a backing track. It's yeah. just Amanda Seyfried just singing to herself. Which yeah. is quite cute. As she's kind of reflecting on the fact they are reopening as the Hotel Belladonna. Yes. For anyone who had no idea from all the promo materials and didn't watch the trailers, and I wouldn't have done. Mm. That must have been one heck of a shock. My mum was very shocked. Yeah, like I can imagine there must have been audible gasps. Yeah. Perhaps tears already. Well, so when we went to see it, I knew that Meryl Streep wasn't going to be in the majority of the movie. I knew that the way they decided to do the new one was to kill her off. But my mum didn't know. And then when we went to the cinema, they say... Oh, it's been a year since... Oh, it's been like a year or two years since your mum died. Yeah, and, it's a year. Yeah, it's been a year since your mum died. And my mum was like, who's dead? Meryl Streep's dead. <laughs> what do you mean Meryl Streep's dead? Yeah. Like, because you're expecting her to show up. I know, up. and it's, it, it, it really does suck because... And I think that's maybe where the film does such a great job is because you are feeling her absence, mm-hmm. but mostly because the other characters really are a lot more muted and not in a way that makes them less fun for the the loss of her yeah yeah and it's something that you know i'm not saying it's bad because she's not there it's a deliberate choice by the actors and the actors have nailed that decision yeah but it does feel like a lot of the fun has gone and it slowly is creeping back in maybe as sophie embraces her new role the fun comes back Mm because sophie starts to be more like her mum yeah that's i would agree with that and you are right that, and Meryl Streep is right, it's the only arc they could have done for this sequel. Mm-hmm. Doesn't mean I have to like it. 
for me, it's heartbreaking, the fact that, like, Meryl Streep is never there to meet her grandchild, yeah. to make amends with her mum. There's a lot of that that, from that personal standpoint, is really sad. I think the only reason that Cher decides to come back and make amends with Sophie is because of the loss of Donna. Yeah. And she suddenly has this realisation of, like, oh, I've missed out on my entire my daughter and my granddaughter's entire lives yeah over this prejudice yeah but it is a very fun film and the fun kicks off straight away with our first flashback as we do go Mm -hmm. to Oxford Oxford. the assembly hall like where they're graduating yeah really looks like the assembly hall from Joseph in our first episode (laughs) yeah like that's not Oxford but I know it's not but it looks like the same kind of set and it starts the same way with you know one of our main characters dashing in a little bit late yeah that's really funny but we go back to that scene with a great line where Sophie says don't worry my mum was always late to everything yes and then we see young Donna running in late as the valedictorian which yeah like her graduation they, they, they really do mix the past and the present well with similar themes running throughout yeah and like they 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 go about the storytelling of that really well i really hope this would be the way the graduation would develop i didn't want donna to have a boring graduation sure enough like tear away robes yeah. and you know they the sing, dynamos, sing kiss the teacher mm-hmm. and we have really like stuck up teachers like on the stage for it which is like kind of like sad i'd like to think like they'd all get involved yeah but then after all the kids have dashed down got on their bikes i don't know who celia plays celia imry yeah i don't know who her like is she the head of oxford she's the chancellor so she's a chancellor fine I love that she then starts singing to the parents that are left as everyone else just like... Yeah, with her cute little accent too. Yeah, that was really nice. What a mad day. And I I thought that was a a lot of fun to start. And the young casting is so spot on. Oh my God. I've actually just found out because I was looking it up. Jessica Keenan-Wynn, who plays young Tanya, who is amazing. That is the best casting I've ever seen. Absolutely. She was Heather Chandler in the Broadway, the off-Broadway Heather's performance. Oh, cool. I didn't know that. She's insanely talented. Yeah. And she was in, she was the understudy Fontaine in 2012, nice. which she would have been quite young to be being yeah. Fontaine. And she was in the Carol King musical on Broadway. She's amazing. She's Also, of, she was in Golden Girls when she was a kid. She's one of my highlights of this, mu- this musical. I think Tanya as a whole... Yeah. Is like a highlight in this. Mm-hmm. There's no wasted moments with her character, both past or present. Yeah. And like you said, the actress is uncanny resemblance. Yeah. And the actress that they cast as young Rosie, young yeah. Julie Waters as well. Oh, yeah. That's really good casting, but oh my God, Jessica Keenan Wynn looks exactly like Definitely. her. Definitely. It's not like the casting of young Bill versus, you know, oh present my God. Bill. <laughs> that that was the most bizarre bit of casting ever and I said it to you when we were watching it yeah I, you know for me it's a shame they didn't get one of his actual sons to do it like for me that would have been the way that I would have been it. really funny but yeah. I, the only one of them you could have got to be the right age would have been Bill who is it yeah and he doesn't look enough like he him. has got a younger child has he yeah there's some I don't remember the name but they were born in 95 mm, compared so to 
Yeah, compared to the 90 of Bill. Yeah, I think he's actually got two after Bill. So it could have worked. I don't know. At the start, I feel like the prequel aspects are more fun than the future. And, like, the songs certainly reflect because we've got... Thank you for the music. Done really well, but somber. Yeah. We then go to Kiss the Teacher, which is really fun. And we then go to One of Us is Lying. Yeah, which is kind of lame. It's just there, and it's good plot building and good world building. And some of the shots in it, the way they're filmed, with you know the transitions of her walking past the mirror and Sky shows up, and then she's the shots in that are brilliant. Mm-hmm. But the song's just kind of there. Yeah, and I think it's a really tough act to follow. Kiss the teacher, mm-hmm. and they don't quite stick the landing. But do you not think it's so appropriate that? Dom Hooper yeah. looks so like young Tony Stark yeah, in the first he looks Iron Man. Exactly film. like him. That it was amazing. amazing casting. Yeah, it, it's ridiculously good casting. They they've done such a good job with this movie with making it with making all the young actors feel like their older selves. Yes. So that you can forgive the the fact that they don't all look exactly like exactly. them. Exactly. Especially with Lily James, because she is her voice that she's doing. Yeah. Is Meryl Streep's voice. Yeah. And she drops the pitch of it down a little bit so she can hit all those sort of low, raspy uh, chords that Meryl Streep hits when she talks. It's such good. Like the casting is phenomenal, but it's really fun when we then see the characters we know and love mm-hmm. coming back. So when we first meet this version of Rosie and Tanya, like they are, it, it's kind of the same story. They're coming to the island again and it mirrors the very first film. Yeah. But it's a lot sadder. They're not as energetic. They're just... But I love how um, affected by Donna's death, like Tanya's being quite strong about it. She knows she has, that they have to be strong for Sophie because this is important. Yes. The, the hotel reopening. But... Rosie can't hold any of her emotions in. She's yeah. this big bundle of, like, all but these raw emotions. Even with Rosie, the fact that her hair is now grey, mm. it, it, it feels like they've lost a big part of themselves and they are older for her no longer being there. Yeah, that's true. You can imagine, like, Tanya's hair's the same. That's because she's dyed it rigorously. Yes, <laughs> you know, they, they've lost a big part of themselves. Like, you feel her loss. You feel like every character has been affected by Donna's death. Yeah. Which is fantastic in terms of the acting and in the storytelling. It's Mm. not just, like, a feature, like, in the sequel where we couldn't get the main actor back, so we're just going to kind of act like they're not there. Yeah, the fact that it was a choice. She's still very much a presence, even though she's only in 30 seconds of the actual story. Mm -hmm. Which... 30 seconds that make me weep uncontrollably. (laughs) The transitions in this film continue to be amazing. Oh my god. go back in time. They're incredible. Yeah. And we have the first summer and we see Donna in Paris and Mm. she meets young Harry. Yes, in his Johnny Rotten t-shirt. The introduction to him is great where he's like talking to her behind the hotel check-in desk and he's just speaking French and she's just nodding at him. And then then she says, um, I'm sorry, I didn't get that. Could you repeat that? And he goes to say it again in French and then realises, oh, hang on. And she's like, I don't work it. Should I call the police? Probably. But I'd rather you didn't. They go to 
I mean, they go to a Napoleon themed <laughs> restaurant in. I Paris. should have guessed how it, that was going to go yeah. the second I saw Napoleon, and his flirting is no, it, you know, it's not even flirting. Prince Charming and Cinderella no longer have the worst flirting on this podcast <laughs> because Harry's got it. Oh, it's poor so, Harry. It is really bad. Like the extent of his flirting is, I'm a virgin. Yes. I don't want to be a virgin anymore. Yeah. And it's really sad as well because he. You get the idea that he's saying it because the reason he's in Paris is because at the end of the summer he has to go and sort of take over the family business. Yeah. So this is his last summer of freedom. And you get the idea that he's like, this is how it's going to be. But I also think that because Harry is gay... Yeah, even though he doesn't know. He doesn't know it, but I think he does know it. So for him, this is kind of a... If I never never find out, it's now or never. Mm. And we do get Waterloo. And it's amazing. And it's amazing. Oh, it's so funny. And we have uh, Benny playing the piano. piano yes. While he sings Waterloo, which is great. Yeah, it's a really fun number. Mm-hmm. It's one of the most energetic. And that's saying something after Kiss the Teacher. Yes. But we could go back to the Hotel Belladonna and we get our first interaction with... Pierce of Brosnan. Pierce of Brosnan with Bond of James. Yes. And he looks old. He does look in old. a probably been dressed that way. Oh yeah, for sure. I think the death of Donna of the men has affected him most obviously because he's been there and he's married to her and probably gone through this with her. See now, this is why I think Sophie is twenty in the first one. Yes. Because Amanda Seyfried looks older, obviously. Mm-hmm. But at this point, Amanda Seyfried has been dressed like a woman in her thirties. And five years have passed, but I don't necessarily think it's five years because... No, it feels like it's minimum ten years. But especially if it has been five years, that's even sadder. Mm. I if wish it's only five years, I wish there was some kind of specification of dates. Yeah. Like, I don't want to be all preoccupied by it. It's a fun musical. The dates don't matter. But for me, it's really upsetting that five years since we last saw Meryl Streep, and she was full of life and vibrant. Five years later, she's gone. What happened to her? That's yeah. sad. Yeah. And like for a musical like Mamma Mia, you don't want to be sad. This yeah. isn't Les Mis. No. It's supposed to be full of fun. And I would be happier if it's maybe been 10 years. I feel like it has been 10 years. And they just didn't think it through enough when they were making the film. When they were thinking of the timelines and stuff. Yeah. Like I say, I'm not going to dwell on the timelines anymore at this point because... Like, I don't want to detract from what is a fun musical. Mm. But Pierce Brosnan does look a lot older. Yes, which is why I think it's been 10 years. And we get sad SOS is sad. <laughs> it's so sad. It's a brilliant callback, though. That's oh, great. It's like, great we don't choice. need more than essentially him doing the chorus of SOS. My favourite thing is he never sings the line SOS. Yeah. He's singing all of the dialogue lines. Yeah. And then where SOS should be, there's just a really sad little but piano version really of it. But it's really well performed. It's great. And well done, Piers Brosnan. He's essentially saying to her, don't worry, like, everything's going to be fine. Mm-hmm. And Sorry that your other dads couldn't be And here. she says, I have you. He is clearly the favourite dad. Well, he's her actual stepfather. I know, but also they got married. Favorite. Colin Firth would be my favourite. <laughs> they yeah. say Harry... So the reason Harry and Bill can't come, Harry is getting... Harry's in Tokyo doing a merger, is what yeah. he says, and 
Bill is getting an award for being the world's br most brilliant Swede. Yes, which, you know, in a film with other songs, I feel yeah. like he's got some heavy competition. Mm -hmm. Amin Jalili yeah. has an amazing cameo. Oh my god. And he's the only character that hasn't aged. No, he isn't. Head Cannon, that is the guy that Colin Firth fancies at the end of the first one. Is it really? I want it to be. <laughs> that would make me happy. I yeah, love yeah. that he flirts with Colin Firth later on in the film, and then when Colin says, "Oh, well, thank you very much," he goes, he like blushes. Yeah. All like, oh, Colin. So he gets really nice moments, like your hair is better, shorter. Mm -hmm. And he then comes back later on when they're going back to the island. His time has not become your time. Has time has become... been most cruel to you, my yeah. friend. <laughs> like it's really nice, but his character, he doesn't age. He doesn't age, but again, he's not in it much. He's inconsequential. He's just yeah. like. The gatekeeper. Yeah. But it's so much fun. The other characters that don't age is the band. Yes, I was going to talk Flashback about them. band. I was going to talk about them later because, like, that is weird that they show up later and not. Maybe they are the most Greek god of anyone. Yeah. Because <laughs> they Because they know all the songs. <laughs> yes. We get an awesome call back to Mamma Mia 1. Mm -hmm. Donna's late. Yep. She rushes to the boat and the boat's already gone. The boat that waits for no one. Yep. And just like in the first one where Pierce Brosnan and Colin Firth are late, mm -hmm. Bill's on standby. Yeah. Like, I just love that. You know, you watching Mamma Mia 2, you've seen the first one, you haven't while you're watching Mamma Mia 2 first. Yeah. And it's just really a nice moment because it's the same, mm -hmm. it's the same story. Yeah. And sometimes it's lazy, but in this it works. It's, it's that homage. Yeah. And he picks up her clothes are flying out of her suitcase as she runs to try and get on the boat. One of the things that falls out is like a bikini top. Yes. I assume it's a bikini top. And he holds it up to himself and he's like, oh, yes, this is lovely. <laughs> we get have to be me. Yeah. Why did it have to be me? Harry's follows Donna because he loves her. It's so sad. And it's too late. And his, we never verse, see his verse of the song is so yeah. sad. It is. And again, it raises more timeline issues, as you pointed out to me. Yes. So when, when Harry in the first one explains how he has come to have Donna's guitar again, he says he took it from the goat shed. Yes. As old Colin Firth. And the reason it's okay for him to take it is because he bought it for Donna. Yes. And it cost him 10 quid plus his Johnny Rotten t-shirt. Yes. Which he's also wearing. Which he's wearing in when he's young Harry in Mamma Mia, Here We Go Again. But when he chases her down the dock and she's gone off with Bill already... He's wearing the Johnny Rotten t-shirt, but he has the guitar yeah. across his back, which begs the question... When did he? When does she get the guitar? Yeah, and I think... I mean, he could have left it with Omid Jalili and been like, can you give this to her if she ever comes back? Possibly, but I think it's one of those moments that they've referenced it, so they're clearly aware of it for Mamma Mia 1. Mm -hmm. Because otherwise, why have them carry it? Exactly, but I think actually... There's either a deleted scene somewhere that explains it all, and therefore, because it's been cut from this film, it doesn't make sense, or they just forgot. I like continuity, so it does bug me that mm -hmm. that's not kind of been addressed. Well, you thought that the continuity was going to be weird here, didn't you? Because yeah. we meet, in the first one, we're told she the order she sleeps with the three men is Harry... Sam, Sam Bill. Bill. I was trying to remember Pierce Brosnan's yeah. name. But in this, she meets she Bill meets first. Bill first, sleeps with Sam, and then meets Bill again. Yes, which is fine. We get which really... I quite like the setup of her yeah. kind of already knowing Bill makes more sense for her character when he does come back. 
we get like a really inconsequential moment here, which isn't so inconsequential. Like at the time I'm thinking... Alexia and Apollonia. Yeah, like I'm thinking, why is this, like, it's a nice little aside as Donna's first adventure here, mm -hmm. but why is it important? And obviously we see why it's important later on. Yes. But they help Alexio meet and marry the woman of his dreams. Yes. Then we go back to the future. Mm -hmm. And there's this, the manager. And I'm starting to wonder what his yes. deal is. He's mysterious and Tanya fancies him and Rosie fancies him. And there's something about him and I'm thinking... Senor Sinfuego. Senor Sinfuego. And my notes here say, right, he's Alexio. Because that's... That makes sense. That yeah. makes sense. Alexio's here. He's a mysterious fourth dad. I said it in the first one. I was disappointed there wasn't a fourth dad. Mm -hmm. Maybe he's granddad. I don't know. I've got yeah. three answers. I did write granddad first. Yeah. Then fourth dad, then Alexio. So I read them in the wrong order, but... Mm -hmm. There's and something about him because he is so mysterious and kind of the way they talk about him or the way there's focus on him when he's on screen, he's not an inconsequential character. And because we see him again immediately after Alexio, that's what made me trigger, like there's something about this character. Oh, that's true, actually. That is a weird way to jump from Alexio to him. Yes. With them not being anything to each other. Yeah. Mm. But we'll figure out who he is later on. Yes. Fun fact, yeah. Andy Garcia, who plays Senor Simbuego, yeah. was chosen by Cher to yeah. play him. Which is quite the She was agree. given sort of like a handful of pictures, essentially, of the guys who auditioned for that character. And she chose, and she him. chose him. We have a dream. Yes. And it's a, it's a lot nicer version because you kind of get more of it. Yeah. And this is such a lovely moment, like how... Sliding between the... Sliding between the, the two hotels... You know, I really like how they've aged the hotel, like, when it's old and dingy. Yeah. It's much better than the version we get in the first film. Mm. Well, you like it better. I think it goes on for a bit long, really. Yeah, but I think it works with this. I really like the cross-cutting between the past and the present. And I think I like Sophie a lot more in this film. She's aged into herself. She's aged into... All she wants is to make her mum proud. Yeah. And whereas in the first film, she wasn't thinking about her mum mm -hmm. and the impact her decisions were having. Yeah. In this I film. love, there's a line at the beginning where when she's on the phone to Skye yeah. and they're having their argument and he says, you don't have to dedicate your whole life to her. And she, her argument is, well, she dedicated her whole yeah. life to me. And that's what I wanted from the first one. Yeah. She's realised how important her mum is. It's a shame she's doing this when mum's not there, but yeah. they probably had a great relationship in the past oh, however yeah, many sure. years. But this is why I think your point about not really understanding how old Sophie is, that's why she comes across so young in the yeah. first one, is like not recognising what your parents do for you is quite yeah. a young thing. Exactly. And I think you age into realising like if you have nice parents, what your parents have done for you. We get a time-travelling storm. We do get a time-travelling storm. <laughs> because I love a time-travelling storm. In both versions of this song ending, there is a storm that's hitting the yes. same spot. Now, obviously, Greece being in the Mediterranean... They get... They get a lot of tropical yeah. storms, but this is a time-travelling yes. storm. It's the uh, cyclone from The Wizard of Oz. <laughs> Another continuity issue. Sam is no longer a hippie, but Danny Zuppo. Yeah, that's the one flashback character I have an issue with is Sam. I think it's a again, it's another kind of big gap that you're thinking 
Why? Because it's a big joke in the first one, is seeing the versions that she knew. Mm. And he is this big, and he isn't here. Yeah. Well, they've done a good job. They've given young Bill the sort of long, shaggy hair. Yeah. And Harry has kind of a... He wishes he could be a rocker, oh, yeah. but he kind of... The others work. This one doesn't work. Yeah. He's, he's too cool. And, I mean, it being set in 1979... It's sort of the rise of the hippie, isn't it? The hippies were 60s. Mm. So, like, that... like, the resurgence of the hippie in the 80s. Not really. No? Not really. That's a weird choice, then. So, again, it's another issue with the choice of year. Yeah. But... I like the line, how come she's here all alone? She has a dream. That's why she's here. Mm. And the hound then sings for Donna. Oh, yeah. The guy in the band. He has a name, I'm sure. He looks like the hound. He looks exactly like the hound. It's so weird. I can't find his name off the top of my head. But he... It's so funny. There's an alternate reality where... At least one of these baby men is played by Matt Smith. Because they all have kind of... If this movie had been made five years ago... Yeah, I don't know if he can sing, but... It's not bad, actually. There's definitely, in each man, there's a a kind of a Matt Smith quality to them. Like, you put the three young men together, and you have Matt Smith. Yeah. The guy that plays young Harry... Yes. Hugh Skinner. Yeah. Uh, my brother is an actor, and he's been told that that's his typecast. <laughs> like, the kind of awkward Hugh Grant kind of boy. Yeah. And it's so funny, because the way that he is in that film is... Hugh Skinner's very good in this. Oh, yeah, he's really good. I love him. It's a shame he doesn't get more. Yeah. He mm. says my most uncomfortable line. Well, him and... Oh, Lily Dave. was that okay? Was that okay? Was that okay? Don't, actually, don't answer that. But was it okay? Did you enjoy it? And then she says, yes, it was lovely. And I cringe yeah. internally to the point that I'm like, in pain from those lines. We so go to Undante and Dante. And Dante. Okay. Yeah, I love that song. It suddenly diegetic sound yes. to impress Sam. Mm-hmm. And here's where I start to think that is Abba canon within this universe? Yes. Like, Abba <laughs> as a band exists in this universe because yeah, it's I diegetic think... sound. This band is playing it with her. Yeah, and they know the words. They know the words. So it must be that she's playing a popular Abba song. I think that Donna and the Dynamos are an Abba tribute band. Yeah. And everybody in the world knows these Abba songs and they just sort of accept that this girl and her two friends really yeah, like, like Abba. Yeah, it's got to be. The bar is also where we meet Sophia, Bill's great aunt. Yes. She semi owns the bar, that her son owns the bar, but Yeah, so what relationship does that put with him and Bill? They would be third cousins, yeah. I think. Family timelines don't make much sense to me, but the the woman who plays her, Maria Bakratis, yeah. I think is how you pronounce it. Again, don't expect much from me. I'm very dyslexic. Yeah. Yeah, she's Sophia. She's so great in this film. She's yeah. such an underrated background character. No, because she is important. Like, it's a throwaway so line awesome. in Mamma Mia 1 for, you know, who looked after Donna with the baby. And yeah. that's kind of Bill's... And that Donna then looked after Sophia until she died. Yeah. Which then also is really 
she's named Sophie after her. Yeah. Which is such a lovely tribute. Which well, especially because we see later on in this film, yeah. the only person that's there when she gives birth to Sophie is Sophia. Yeah. And that whole scene is heartbreaking. Oh yeah, it is. And it's 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 kind of a throwaway mention in the first one, which is mm. kind of what makes me. I had an aunt named Sophia, yeah. Yeah. But it's now become a bigger deal. Mm-hmm. And I like that. That's the continuity I'm here for. Fleshing out minor characters. Yes. However, there is one really weird scene with her and Sam. Yeah. Where you sort of get the like she is Bill's great aunt. But she says a really weird thing to Sam that maybe your aunt wouldn't ever say about you. Yes. Which we'll, is we'll that. talk about that scene later on. Okay. Oh wait. Hey, I just met you, and this is crazy. But in Greece, I'm saying, will you join me? Maybe. Yeah. Donna decides that Sam is her soulmate and that they should stay in Greece forever Yep. on this island. And as they perform Name of the Game, she writes in the MacGuffin Diary. And breaks her toe. Yes. Yeah, you told me that story. <laughs> yeah. Lily James broke her toe on set by running into a piece of lighting equipment and then had to do a cartwheel in a music scene. Was that before or after the goat? That would have been before the goat. <laughs> Oh, that goat is that like, great. That goat what is great. the greatest of all time. How do you get a goat to pop their head round a corner like that, like perfectly when you need them it to? Was, it was fun. She is being a very good girlfriend and she's getting freshly squeezed orange juice. Yes. And she which leads to the discovery of Sam's diary. Yeah. And she doesn't read his diary. She just finds a picture, a picture that's sticking out of it. Sam's a very pretty girl. It is enough. Like, it's damning evidence. Yeah. Like, and he let her down, as he says. And then it's really sad because that's... Like, let her the, down is an understatement. I know, but this is then potentially it for 29 years. Mm-hmm. Like, this was so significant, maybe a month or two they were together. And he's held those feelings for 29 years. But we learn why. Oh, I mean, yeah, but like, yeah. Again, this is this is such a nice big moment, and when we go to the four forward times mm-hmm. with Pierce Brosnan saying how he let her down, like you really feel he's got guilt. Yeah, and it's only even sad that Mel Streep's died because he's finally got her, and he's only had her for just such a short such time. a short time. And I love that this film always has this fun time that just reminds you there's like this sorrow that the characters are already dealing with. Yeah. But that there can still be joy in it. Yeah. Knowing Me, Knowing You is <laughs> the, the worst song. I was about to say it's the SOS of this song. Yeah. Like, I don't mean in terms of, like, I'm not saying, because SOS was my favourite last time. Yeah. I don't, wouldn't say I really remember this song. It's just really funny because in casting yeah. young Pierce Brosnan, they again got a guy who can't sing ABBA songs. Mm. And I'm sure he can sing because you can hear it in his voice that he has quite a good voice. But having the job of going, aha, in the middle of knowing me, knowing you, isn't really singing. He doesn't sound like he knows what to do with his voice in that song. Yeah. Which is the problem Piers Bosnan had with um, SOS. Which is great casting. (laughs) Well done. We now go to Tokyo, Japan. Yes. I would never have guessed it was Tokyo. Oh, how would we possibly have known? I've heard about the big Tokyo. Sleepy Harry. Poor Harry. <laughs> Colin Firth looks old. He does. That's really sad. But, like, I wouldn't say old in the same way other characters look old in this No, second. Colin Firth has clearly... Watching one and two back-to-back just shows you 
Yeah. Cumberford's he's, got older. But also, like, his character is tired. Yeah. Because he's been dealing with this merger. We don't know what it's for. Like, we just know it's a big deal. Well, he works in a bank. Yeah, we just know it's a big deal. Yeah. And... For 14 hours. Looking at a photo yeah. of the... the Japanese businessman's family, mm-hmm. he realises that the family is more important than he leaves. He's like, great contract, by the way. I'll sign anything. Make yeah. any changes you want. There's That's no really use... responsible. Yeah. <laughs> he says, there's no use climbing the ladder if you're on entirely the wrong wall. Yeah. Which and is very cute. Like, I love it when... I love it in a film where anyone realises family is more important than business. Yes. It's my favourite elf where he's like, screw you, I'm going to go find my son. Mm. Like, it's so nice when these characters, and and Harry's not a bad guy, this is the first time we see adult Harry. Yeah. But it's so nice, he's just like... But they do it in a really nice way where he isn't throwing away his career. No, Because it always really bugs me in films where people are like, oh, screw my career. Yeah. Family's more important. You need money. You do. So for him to be like, I have to leave, I must go to my family, but also you guys rock, let's keep this merger, yeah. this is great. <laughs> Make any changes you <laughs> Do want. Do whatever you want. Yeah, like, it's really nice. And then we go to Sweden. What's happened to Bill? Oh my God. This What's is my favourite joke. Bill? Oh, I was we so have... relieved when that was his twin. Yeah, Bill's twin brother. <laughs> In the credits, he gets... Um... Kurt. He gets a casting credit for both the characters. Yeah, I know. It's on here as well. Which, like, admittedly, he's put on a fat suit. He deserves that credit. For, yeah. But I really like that. And, yeah, he he says to, to his mum on the phone, make sure he doesn't tell that joke and what does his twin do? Tell the goat joke. Yeah. I love that his brother, though, his brother is called Kurt and he has a family. Yeah. And that's the point that he's got Kurt to stand up and take this award because he's realised that family's important. And Kurt already knows that. So that's why he's willing to do it for him. But I love that he's accepting this award and he says, I would like to thank my mother. What I find really funny is... People look shocked when he gets up on the stage. Yeah, because he's not not saying I'm Kurt picking up on his behalf. He's saying I am Bill. Yeah. Right? But, yeah, because the mum says it's one thing to make your brother take your science exam at school, it's another to make him put in the But here's what's really you. funny, is like people would have seen like press of Bill. If he's the best Swede ever, like he must yeah. be in the, in the press quite a lot. Mm-hmm. People are like, what on earth happened to him in like, yeah. an hour or two? Well, that's what I said when we see young Bill at the beginning yeah. of the film. And I was like, what happens to Bill to go from whatever the guy is called, Josh Dillon, who is hot? Stan Skarsgård's hot. Two Stellan Stark scars. They don't look like they could ever be related in any way. I, my favourite kind of age casting. Yeah. If I was Matthew Perry, I would be so honoured that in 17 <laughs> they cast Zac Efron <laughs> to play me. Like, thank you so much. Ultimately, <laughs> imagine being Zac Efron. Zac Efron has a glimpse into your This future. is what we think you'll look like when you're Zac old. Zac Efron must now be the same age that Matthew Perry was when he started Friends. Well, he's older than that, I imagine. Yeah, like, there or thereabouts. Like, <laughs> couldn't be more wrong. We get one of my favourite songs. Sad Mamma Mia, which suddenly we have the energy. Because Rosie and Tanya come to see Donna and she's all heartbroken. Mm-hmm. And she can't sing about love when she's not feeling it. And we start with this really sad version of Mamma Mia. But then the energy comes, which is great. Yeah. And then she falls up off the bar. And, and Bill's there to catch her. But Bill. And we have my favourite 
Rosie and Tanya interaction. This is really sad again. It's so sad. It's the same as Sam. Rosie's been into this guy since day one. Mm -hmm. She finally gets him at Mamma Mia. Yeah. But then something happens in the middle. Well, we find out what happens. Yeah. But But she says that she can't catch a break. Yeah. But she's saying to Tanya, he's literally the most handsome man in the entire world. And Tanya's like, yes, but you're going to let Donna have him because she needs to be cheered up right now. Yeah. And she and Rosie says, you don't understand. You don't understand my point. The point is that I love him and I want to have his babies and eventually push him around in a wheelchair and scatter his ashes, which is hilarious. She's so over the top and she I love is. it. But yeah, um, she's been into him for a really long time. And it's it's really sad, really sweet. But like, we go from that scene. But it makes more sense why in Mamma Mia she's chasing him. She's like, finally got the courage to maybe act on it. Yeah, because she's an adult now. Yeah. We go from that scene where they're talking about how she fancies him to Angel Eyes, where we find out that Bill not cheated. Well, he must have. I don't think he cheated. I think he was just friends with someone and Rosie suspects it was cheating. I think he was more than just friends with somebody. Mm. Not that he explicitly cheated, but that there was something going on there. And that Rosie found out because she said it's never a good time when the word just precedes the word friends. Yeah. Which I, I agree with. And so they've broken up. And then they sing Angel Eyes, which is great. Tanya interspersing her lines with Rosie's. It's really well done. And it's just which so Which has nice. become a big thing on TikTok recently. <laughs> they've just adopted kind of Sophie as the new Donna. Yeah. And it really feels lovely that they are looking after her. Like, you know Donna's watching on proud and yes like this is because they're probably her godparents as well yeah like without a doubt they are her godparents and yeah they're her family and it is so nice that they're just you are donna now and it feels like they're happier they're becoming more alive just for being around sophie mm-hmm. and i feel like whereas in the past it used to be more vibrant yeah and in the future it was less vibrant the future's becoming more vibrant and the past less so yeah kind of like a last five years turn we've reached the middle and and now they're going in opposite yeah. ways i quite like that but oh no the storm ruined everything nobody can come to the island for the big party and the passport officer returns yep time has not been your friend time has <laughs> been very kind to you no oh, but thank you <laughs> well thank you and they go to a party they go to a bar yeah and colin Firth ties himself to a chair Yes, and Alexia <laughs> returns to help Bill and Harry get to the grand opening. Mm-hmm. And, and Bill, Sky shows up. Yeah, Bill saves the day, and we once again get Colin Firth's contractual obligation to fall in water. Yes, and have a wet shirt. Before that, though, we get yeah. a flashback to Sam returning to the island. Oh, I forgot, yes, because it's my favourite Sophia and moment. And interacts with... Sophia. Tanya and Rosie first. Oh, yeah. Because <laughs> Tanya says, I just want to let you know up front, I visually enjoy If you. only he'd mentioned, I'm looking for a girl called Donna. The yeah. whole future changes. Oh, my God. If he'd have said to them, they would have been like, oh, are you Sam? I don't think they'd have been particularly nice to him. Though. I think they'd have appreciated, because Donna has said he's left. Yeah. He's gone home. He's gone home to get married. He's come back for her. Yeah. Now, they know enough to know that their Donna 
is heartbroken because this person meant something. The fact he's here now, they'd have kept him. Yeah. If they'd have guilted him. Oh, 100%. But they'd have kept him there. But Sophia has a great line where she does guilt him. Yeah. And she tells him that Adonna has gone off with another man, yeah. the most famous stud in Europe. And she says it's it's called karma and it's pronounced ha. Now. What issue, a weird way to describe your nephew. My issue with this scene. Mm-hmm. Sophia meant a lot to Donna and Donna to Sophia. Yeah. At no point did Sophia no, tell she doesn't Donna tell her. this. Even after she's seen that Donna and Bill don't end up together. Yeah. And she recognises that Donna's a single mother. Yeah. Did she not think of saying I think she, that? I think she assumes it's Bill's. But did she not think? Well, she must assume it's Bill's. Like, that's why she takes him in. Yeah. But she knew. Yeah. Well, why did she not say? Like, that really feels like... I think she probably decided it was for the best and then promptly forgot about it. Yeah. But In just, the way that you do, when you decide something is... But poor Donna has carried this hatred for, like, oh gosh knows how many years. Yeah. Towards Sam. And this love for Sam, that that's why they get married. Yeah. And all that wasted time. And all Sophia had to say was, by the way, I should have told you this. He came back he for came you. He came back for you. Like, that's, that's really sad to me. Okay. Sorry to bring down your favourite moment. Sophia's the villain of this one. No, she, no. <laughs> no she's I not the villain. Her. But it just, it's occurred to me at, like, reflecting on this film. Anyway. I, Bill and Harry save the day. It's at this point I start to realise I am here more for the present than the flashbacks. Yeah. And... I'm not surprised by that based on what you said about the first one. What? With that you were enjoying the sort of adults more than Sophie. Yeah, but I really like this character development and, like, the, the past. Mm. However, I feel like we're spending too much time in the past and not enough time in the future. There's a lot of these scenes. That I, I already know what happens in them. Yeah. Like, it's prequel syndrome. I Well, from this point, we don't get a lot of past. Which I'm happy, like, at this point, guys. This is the point where they, I think... You can feel that we need to be in the future now. Yes, and I'm, I started enjoying the film a lot more at this point. Mm-hmm. I like the flashbacks, but I do think sometimes they go a little long. Mm-hmm. And I'm here for the characters I'm already invested in. Like, I already know what they've been through to get to this point. So, like, I like, I'd like smaller flashbacks. Yeah. I don't need them to be as long as they have been in here. Mm-hmm. Small things like seeing Sam came back and seeing their interaction is great. Yeah. And seeing that Rosie was in love with Bill is great, but I don't need to necessarily see Donna with Bill. I don't need to see Donna. Like, that whole moment when she's on the boat with Bill doesn't matter to me. I know they're shacking up. Let's see more of the other side of things. Yeah. So sometimes the flashbacks got a little too much for me. We get Dancing Queen. Yes. Sophie is now Donna. Harry and Bill on the front of the boat doing yeah. the Titanic. Which is awesome. And Colin Firth dancing. It's all amazing. And it's just an excellent callback to the first one. Like, let's all go to the beach. Mm-hmm. And it's brilliant. I can't, I'm not going to say more about it because I just really like it. That's great. It. But they bring Sky along with them yes. as a surprise because they, Sky and Sophie have been a bit estranged yeah. through this whole movie. Yeah, and it's and nice. And he's, he, he's made the same choice yeah. as Harry. He's decided that his family is more important. But there's also, like, the most brilliant moment where here sees them for the first time and oh the boys like, yeah. and he's just like I'm so glad you're here like you really yeah. feel like in the same way you felt so much that 
Tanya and Rosie were missing something. You finally feel like he's complete. Yeah. And it's such a nice moment where he's like, oh, I'm so glad you're here. I just like, I, I got yeah, goosebumps just, just thinking of it. Yeah, he's just thank you for coming to them and it's so nice. But the band hasn't aged. Band hasn't aged. So they're coming to this, you know, the form of the grand opening. Mm-hmm. And then we get this. <laughs> you're not drinking. No, but you're not drinking. Oh, God. Um, yeah. We have the flashback and... Obviously, we know what Donna she's and Sophie realizing that they're both pregnant at the same time. This time. is where the flashbacks work at their best when they start to parallel like the future and they're yes. going at the same time. So, that shot where we hear the vomiting and the pan up, and you assume it's going you to assume be it's Donna, Donna, but it's and then Sophie. you see Sophie like, that's brilliant. Like, and then that's she says, such good. Well, I think we know what that means, which, no, we don't. Yes. It, that bothers me, but it's fine. I, from a storytelling point of view, fine, sure. And we get your entrance, your big entrance. Like the best moment of this whole film. She and it's just, it's not even when she walks up the stairs, the helicopter lands and we just see Cher's leg. I was disappointed she <laughs> didn't it. arrive in a Cher plane. You suck. <laughs> <laughs> I love Cher. It's She's a, amazing. It's a really nice, film. it's a really nice entrance to her character. I remember in the cinema, people cheered when Cher like showed up she walks yeah. up the stairs and she says oh Chante was in fun and everyone lost their minds it was amazing I mean I did say to you like a few moments before that she actually wrote, just saying is Cher just a glorified cameo yeah and she does do more which fine I honestly at this point I was getting like when clearly clearly near the end mm. is she just coming on as a cameo I'm glad she wasn't do you want to guess who Cher was offered the role of from the first one Tanya yeah yeah and she turned it down. Good. Because um, she was going on tour. But the fathers oh can't God. keep secrets. True. <laughs> I didn't <laughs> tell anyone. Well, I only told Sam. And I only told Bill because he's the other father. And I told Harry. And I told many, many people. <laughs> yes. Bill misses Rosie and Donna. Yeah. And then it's like, throughout this film... Seeing been... Bill cry. Yeah. And throughout the film, you've had like people telling Rosie, be strong, or you are strong. Yeah. And she's the one here who turns and says, we can be strong together. Yeah. And they kiss and everything's great. Mm-hmm. And we get, I've been waiting for you. Which hurts me. This is so, right, from this point on in this film, I'm on the edge of crying. Because this song is heartbreaking to watch. Right. At first, I was kind of like, she's finally a dynamo. She's grown up wanting, she says like, this is something I wanted my whole life. Like, why does her mum never let me do this? <laughs> and she's finally a dynamo. Yeah. And she chooses the most depressing song in the world. However. And I'm thinking, why could it not have been Thank You for the Music? Like, mm-hmm. she's already sung it. Why could we not get a jazzier version? But the lyrics in this are perfect. Yeah. I'll be a I, good mum, I'm sure. I get that. And I forgive, like, my initial kind of disappointment because yeah. I'm listening to lyrics. But jumping between. Sophie singing and being a dynamo and being Donna and flashbacks to Donna giving birth to her. Sophia running up the hill and realising what's happening and the fact that nobody else is there for her. Like, because we do see later on that young Tanya and Rosie came to Sophie's christening. They're not there when she's giving birth. Nobody else is. So the fact that she does name Sophie after Sophie, yeah. like, it makes sense. And it's a nice little roundabout way. 
you weren't the only person moved to tears. The cinema's not the only per you know people moved to tears because Cher is also moved to tears. Cher is moved to tears. That upsets me as well. The fact I love that Cher hears this song and obviously connects it with her daughter yeah. and cries. But I also love that she shrugs it off like with the whole oh yes, well a bit of vocal training and you'll be perfect. Yeah. Like, well, Cher's character in this is called Ruby. Yeah. <laughs> She's not just Cher. But we finally find out who this mysterious manager is. <laughs> And of Fernando. course, of course, his name is Fernando, and he is the granddad. And like, yeah, I don't know why he's not explicitly said that to Sophie. It's never explicitly said that he is the granddad, it's, but it's really between the lines. Yeah, it's pretty obvious. Him and Ruby share met in Mexico in the whenevers, whenever that was. 1959 or 1958. Judging by your timeline. Basically, I, they think they say a line. If it is 1959, then actually Donna graduated at 19. So... <laughs> um, but, yeah, and then Cher got pregnant and had yeah. Donna, which then begs the question, hypocrite. Yeah. However, I can understand even more if Cher character uh, Ruby got pregnant and had a baby mm -hmm. and didn't let it affect her career yeah. because she, clearly she's a big yeah. star having a daughter who graduates at potentially 19 yeah. is going to have this amazing future who then goes and makes exactly the same mistake, mistake. in inverted Those commas comments. that you did I can understand yeah. being like you've ruined your life yeah exactly but obviously it's horrible this horrible is one of the biggest reasons why prequels frustrate me like we've talked a lot about it, it's like there's a lot of law mm -hmm. in Mamma Mia that then is ignored mm -hmm. or forgotten about. And I think it's like I said to you, I'm not the biggest fan of prequels. Yeah. But especially when you forget your history or you muddle with timelines. Mm -hmm. It just and it I love this moment, I love all of it. It just it's such a shame that these timelines instead of me seeing and enjoying the film, I'm instead sat there thinking, hold on a second. Mm. Like I shouldn't be doing that math in a musical. Yeah. The only time I should ever be doing math in the musical is during Once Upon a Mattress. Yes. Fernando always makes me think of Malcolm in the Middle. I haven't seen it. There's like a really nice one at the end of the first season where what the youngest kid is dancing with his babysitter and they're doing it to Fernando. Oh, that's cute. Yeah, she then collapses and dies in an ambulance. Oh my god. I know, but it always makes me think. What was that show about? Malcolm I thought that was a kid's show. Yeah, it is. Oh my god. It always makes me think of that moment. Nine months later. Uh, and we have the song that actually makes me weep buckets. We have this lovely moment where they're all arguing over, like, grandfather, don't like, you've got my ears, like... I hope he inherits my ears. And yeah. they're like, well, why do you care? But it doesn't matter. Pierce Brosnan says, you do have lovely ears <laughs> to Colin Firth, which is great. And then Bill says, well, I hope he's got my feet. People have always commented on my feet. And Colin Firth says, you're not getting your feet out. Yeah. They've named Sophie's baby Donnie. Donnie. Yeah. Which is cute. I guess. I mean... I don't think there's a good male version of Donna. No. No offence. If your name is Donnie and you're listening to this, we love you. But <laughs> Donnie it, isn't a good male version of Donna. No. And like the thing is, regard, I mean, it would have been too on the head to have had a daughter and call her Donna. Like, mm -hmm. we'd be complaining, like, oh, yeah, come on. I agree. You know, having a, uh, having a boy and naming Donnie is nice. Yeah. Tanya gets a man. She does, with a, a weird little cameo. It's um, Jonathan Goldsmith. 
Who's Fernando's brother? Fernando's brother, whose whose wife has died. Yes. Yeah. And they talk about how we wish Donna was here. We all wish Donna was here. Yeah. And then my love, my life. Oh my god. In the same church, which is a great callback, same shot. But they cut, there's the the sweeping shot where they're looking at uh, young Donna holding the baby and they go down to the font and it's Meryl Streep singing and I literally burst into tears. And then they pan back up and it is Meryl Streep and she's there. Meryl Streep stood at the end of the the, the altar waiting for Sophie and her grandson to get to her. Literally, I'm welling up talking about this. But. It upsets me so much that Donna isn't here. For it is. Yeah. Because it, she is, obviously, that's what they're going for. And Sophie can see her there. Yeah. But it is sad. Like, that's the thing for me, mm-hmm. especially as a single parent family. Yeah. If I ever have grandkids, which, well, I say, if I ever have, if we ever have kids, mm-hmm. which we will, but. We ever have kids and my mum's not here to see that. Yeah. That like it's gonna tarnish having kids experience for me. Like I don't wanna sound rude, but like to never have them meet who is like the strongest person in my life. Yeah. And it's the same for Sophie. So it really resonates with me, like that's just so heartbreaking. Mm. It's awful. Yeah. And I get it. And like it is a proper, like a lovely moment that Sophie knows in that moment she is here. She'll always be here. And it's the perfect ending to that story. Yeah. But it does make me cry a whole lot because, like, having Meryl Streep appear at that moment, yeah. that's amazing. Oh, God, yeah. Like, it's maximum impact. It's so powerful. Like, I was thinking... It... I don't think there's another moment in this film where having her appear would have made that emotion. And then... <laughs> we get Super Trooper. Right. Do you know how they filmed this? It was at Shepperton Studios as their cast party. Yeah. They, they literally, the director, blasted their recorded version of Super yeah. Trooper and were like, go. But it is great. All the different characters are there, regardless mm. of timelines. Everyone's there dancing with yeah. themselves. Yeah, so you've got Meryl Streep and Lily James dancing yeah. together with Cher and yeah, it's all awesome. the young boys. You have young Harry going around Colin Firth, who is not in Colin Firth none of it. Like, Pierce Brosnan and his... Young doppelganger have clearly coordinated like hand gestures. They've spoken about what they're going to do. Yeah, it's such a great moment. And you can see Stellan Skarsgård and John Dylan. Is that his name? Yeah, Josh Dylan. I was close. They're kind of looking at each other. You can kind of see Stellan Skarsgård is like okay. <laughs> I like the bit where like the dads are in the lycra, like, and they're just walking with their beers and sitting down. Yeah, you've got the young guys dancing. And it's really fun. Like, mm. it is such an amazing experience. We have, yeah, we have the most amazing, like, rap That's party. an incredible end to that film. It is. And end of the universe. Like, I don't want a Mamma Mia three. No, they're not going to. Good. They don't need to. post credit scene. <laughs> it's brilliant. Because it's just like a blooper. Is It's kind of what happens after young Harry leaves. Yeah. Is our passport gatekeeper says... Oh, well, if things don't work out, come back to me. Oh, she rejects you, give me a call. Yes, and then he starts singing, take a chance on me. <laughs> Looking directly at the camera as he does it, he just yells, we've got enough, we can, we can cut. And it's just, I had no idea it was going to be there, but it was just a really fun moment. That would have like, been fun if they had kept that in. But do you know what it is for me? Is It just shows how much fun everyone was having 
on this set. Yeah. Like they're clearly all having a great time. Yeah, and that for me shows because the film's great. Like mm-hmm. they've enjoyed themselves. You know a film that's got like issues with like production. Like when yeah. you go to watch it, you can tell. And yeah. It, it's so much fun. They they are on holiday with their friends, having a great time. What's your best song in the sequel? I have three for different reasons. I have two. You go with yours. So, my favorite song on the soundtrack, yeah, for song reasons mm-hmm. as opposed to part of the movie reasons, is Andante Andante. I love that song. I sing along to that all the time. Yeah. My favorite story song, like as a part of the film, yeah. is Angel Eyes. Yeah. Uh, they're having a whale of a time filming mm-hmm. that song. It's ridiculous and it's diegetic-ish. Yeah. And it's just a weird one. But also when I kiss the teacher is just the best opening to the right, song. Right, so I've got three. Yeah. <laughs> Did you just add one? No, I, I have three. Yeah, okay. Kiss the teacher. Because, like, fun, yep. really great introduction to, like, the young world mm-hmm. and just really, really well-performed. Exactly. Waterloo. Just had a blast. <laughs> I had a blast with it. Yeah. In terms of story yeah. and what it means to the story, mm-hmm. like, my love, my life. Aww. Because, like, it is yeah. meaningful. So when, when we were watching the film the other day, the point at which I had to leave because I needed to go out, was just as Meryl Streep appears in My Love, My Life. If I'd have sat next to you for any longer into that song, I would have been weeping. Yeah. And that the reason why that isn't on my list is because I like to have fun when I see films. Well, so this is the thing. I don't like to solve. No, but art should move you. Yes, I agree. And the fact like, that yeah. this this movie can make me that upset. This is the thing for a fun musical to yeah. end its narrative on such a manner because like the, the the super trooper is the credits like that's where the credits start that's not part of the film yeah for the story to end with such a sad thought-provoking song is great especially yeah. when it's a fun musical which songs do you least like name of the game i think is a bit filler yeah we could have something else in that place mm-hmm. and it could just be a very short scene yeah and the other one i think i know you're not gonna like it yeah but i think knowing me knowing you i'll be honest like that one for me is very forgettable yeah that's why however i have three songs that i don't really like Ooh. and they're all flashback songs two of the three i love are flashback songs yeah however can I try and guess? You can. Is it going to be Andante Andante? Yes, I don't like that one. Mm-hmm. Um, songs that you could live without. Fernando? No, because Fernando's great. Like, it's share busting out. It's just, it's cheesy. Like, it's what Mamma Mia is about. It's just like you're laughing at the absurdity. Yeah, it's ridiculous. How to get Fernando into it. Yeah. One of Us is Lying? Yes. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. What's your favourite Have to one? be me. One of us is lying and I'm Dante. I'm Why did it have to be me? I love that song. I want to sing that song on a boat. Mm-hmm. I didn't really enjoy that. With a hot guy on a boat. <laughs> That's never going to happen for you. I'm it will. Boat. I will get a boat and I will put you on it and we'll be fine. You still need a hot guy. 
Which role would you want to play in this one? Because you've got a lot more choice than I do. I do. Can I pick a, a future character and a past character? Go for it. Okay, past Tanya. Yeah, and future Tanya. No, and future Rosie. Okay, cool. This one, I'm changing my future character because, I mean, obviously I've got to be Cher. Yeah. Given the option. Your future, future character. My future, future character. But I think Rosie's character in this one is so sweet. And she, and also getting to sing Angel Eyes would be so much fun. I really struggled with this decision. Like, for me, I knew you were going to ask it, so I have to come up with, like, a self-indulgent, who do I cast myself as? Mm -hmm. Young man, I would say young Harry. Yeah, like Waterloo. Waterloo's fun, but, like, that's how I used to dress when I was that age. That's how you still dress. It is how I still dress. He has green converse with red laces. Yeah, like... I'm pretty sure you have those. The old men don't factor in as much. Like, but then would you not want to be Colin Firth on the front of the boat? Because that's such a great scene. Colin Firth just seems like he's having the best yeah, time. Yeah, I'm also going to potentially drown when I'm thrown into water whilst tied to a chair. He was fine. He Sky was, was fine. there to save him. He was fine, but who's to say Sky would save me? I do you know what? I'm going to say if I have to play a future role, I'm going to keep with Sam. Okay. Because I feel like his character, in the moments we see him more, has got more to contend with. Because mm-hmm. they're all sad that Donna's gone. Yeah. But for him more so. And I feel like that character development, like, it's really nice to see sad Pierce Brosnan. Yeah. Like, you don't usually see that. He's usually Bond. Or, like, in Remember Me, he's this kind of obnoxious dad. It's not often you see him this sad. Yeah, and, and like, relatable. Yeah. And, like, that's who I would take. I don't know who my MVP in this one is. I've still got a blank. I do. I'm going to say it's Tanya. Adult Tanya. Both. Yes. Any... So mine mine was going to be Jessica Keenan Wynn, young Tanya. Yeah. She's doing the best job. I think for both of them, whenever they're on screen, mm-hmm. it's just fun. Like, even in a scene that's sad, they find a way to make you laugh. And yeah. there's something about both of their personalities and their gravitas that's just incredible. Yeah. I, you know, shout out to Lily James. I think she was great. Yeah, really good casting. I mean... People said that this was her breakout role, too. Like, when you consider she is being Meryl Streep, mm-hmm. like, just think about that. You she are, is as well. But you are playing a role who most people recognise as the greatest actress yeah. of all time. Because Meryl Streep is the greatest actress of all time. Yeah. And you're playing that role. Mm. And she does a great job. She does do a great job. And, you know, shout out. She was really praised for this. She wasn't, I can see why. But I think the person I enjoyed most whenever they were on screen, it was both versions of Tanya. Yeah. Do you want to guess how much money this made worldwide? It's like, it's less than Mamma Mia 1. 500 million. $395 million so, worldwide against a production budget of 75 million. The, uh, this was insane. Mamma Mia didn't do very well in theatres. Yeah. It did really well on DVD release. This did insanely well in theatres. And here's the thing. I remember 
that critically was getting better reviews than the first one. Like there are people who say they prefer this one to the first one. Yeah. There's kind of more story to this, if that's but what you're with, going to see it for. I remember like coming back in the, you know, post summer holidays, this has been out talking to my drama kids. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, their reaction to this was kind of muted. That's they, so surprising. It is surprising. And although I guess they were like toddlers in 2008 when the first one came out. Yeah, but it's a sort of one that they would have probably watched before they went to watch this. Yeah, like, this, this was, was the second highest grossing film of 2018. I mean, Infinity War. Yeah, Infinity one. War was number one. Yeah. But for this to be second to Infinity War is I mean, yeah, like, really that's, cool. That is impressive. I just, yeah, I don't remember this taking over the world as much as Mamma Mia did. Yeah, it didn't win anything. No. But I don't remember taking over the world the same way that I, I do remember everyone talking about Mamma Mia. I don't remember some, I remember coming out and people being hyped, but then it dying out a lot quicker. Mm. I don't remember seeing cinemas doing the sing-along version. They probably did, but I don't remember seeing it. I went to a sing-along version. Yeah. So. <laughs> do you want to hear my favourite review of this film? Yes. It is atrocious and wonderful. It is all the reasons you should never go to the movies and all the reasons you should immediately get a ticket. I can imagine that this is what most people wanted Cats to be. Yeah. Like... A great time. Yes. As opposed to snot and buttholes. Yeah. Or the lack thereof. Or the lack of. (laughs) Hashtag release the butthole cut. Yeah. I didn't like this one as much as the first. I can tell. I still really liked it. I've given it four stars. Because I really did like it. I think it's a lot of fun considering like the tragedy that's occurred. Whereas the first one is your Greek comedy, this is your Greek tragedy. Mm. I do think you are missing Meryl Streep, but but in a in a way that yes, you're missing her presence on stage, but also like you're missing her because others miss her, and you're supposed to, yeah, which is good. They've made you feel the emotion yeah. you're supposed to. Yeah, exactly. The flashbacks do go a little long sometimes for me. Like, it's very difficult to be invested in two worlds. Mm-hmm. And especially when the one I'm more invested in is the one I already know. Yeah. And there are issues that come from doing prequels, you know, which we talked about. I still really enjoy this one. Good. I'm glad. Will I enjoy next week? I wanted to try and do something a bit more classic. Cool. So I'm going for one that you kind of know a little bit because we watched an encore episode where they were doing it. Oklahoma! Oklahoma's okay. Yeah, I didn't pay much attention to that encore episode, so I wouldn't necessarily say it's got much bearing on what I do or don't know. No, you did, because it's the one with the actress who's in a wheelchair. Yeah, but I still wasn't paying attention. I was playing on the iPad. Alright, fine. Because I knew full well we'd be doing an Oklahoma episode eventually. Yeah. I saw bits, but it didn't really make much sense to me. I paid attention to the preamble where he went Talks and about, spoke yeah. to the actress in a wheelchair and she spoke about how they transformed Oklahoma for her. And I thought mm-hmm. that was really interesting because I'm all here for positive representations of disability. Yes. Because there's nothing greater to me than seeing somebody with a disability being given the platform to perform. Mm -hmm. Especially if that means they're rewriting roles for that person. But the reason I picked Oklahoma is because we're going to watch the original movie version. Oh, wow. So we're going back in time. Rogers and Hammerstein as well. Yes. Cool. 
The reason I'm doing this one though, the 1955 one, is because we've watched a lot of recent versions. Yes. Recently, like we didn't watch the original Gypsy. Gypsy. We didn't watch the original Newsies. We watched their most modern counterparts. Yeah. Mamma Mia, 2018. It's about as modern as we're gonna get, I think, for now. Short yeah. of watching Cats. Short of watching Mary Poppins Returns. Yeah. That's on the list. And the most recent Annie, but. We are going as far back as I can. It's a fun musical. Yeah, and we might talk about the encore episode. Maybe we'll rewatch the encore episode as well, just to kind of talk a little bit about, you know, a modern staging of it. Yeah. Until next week, we've gone for a very long time. If you're still with us, yeah, thank you. Mamma Mia, you've got to do it as a big episode. Yeah. You know. I'm glad you enjoyed it as much as you did. I wanted to see Mamma Mia for a while and. I don't know why I haven't. Really, really enjoyed it. Yeah. And I'm sure the online community will have fond things to say about it as well. Mm-hmm. At It's a Musical Pod on Twitter and Instagram. Yep. Share your thoughts once you have listened to the episode on Apple Podcasts, on Podbean, on Spotify, on Stitcher, or our latest platform, Google Podcasts. Yay! <laughs> we're like real podcasters now we are like real podcasters tweet us instagram us email us at it's a musical pod at gmail.com and if you want to see how i do the episode art for every episode that we release you could follow me on tiktok because that's where i post everything now so you can follow me on tiktok at icarus illist that's with two c's yes it is and half an illustration. <laughs> <laughs> and we're going to give you a final C as we will see you next week. Have a wonderful musical Monday. <laughs>